with bad water, you know, there's, it's not just um, people that are going to finish it fast or the, the quote unquote elites. I mean, it's a field of individuals that have worked hard and proven themselves and that are willing to put themselves in a position of a certain amount of pain and suffering and agony for the sake of, you know, doing something really difficult to prove to themselves that they can. And so you don't, you, you're not out of your league unless you tell yourself you're out of your league. You really aren't. I mean, any, anybody that believes they can do it has the same opportunity that I did. You just have to work hard to get there. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 65 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have a good episode. We get to talk to the winners, the two winners of the Training for Ultra 2 challenge. So it was on Strava. These guys put in, you know, some serious hours of training. So it's very cool to speak with them. And also Andrea Koyman, who is just an excellent all-around runner. She crushes middle of the pack. Um, watch out when she has a good race because she'll be on the podium. So definitely a fun, interesting conversation. She's done a plethora of races and um, seems seems to have started something really cool with we rock it's a non-profit and yeah i just enjoyed speaking with her big thank you to hammer nutrition sufferfest beer um destination trail candace burt and her race company definitely check their website out tahoe 200 is about to sell out and i also i want to give a quick shout out to bigger than the trail tommy Byrne. i did have someone contact me that was you know dealing with some depression issues and I pointed them to Bigger Than the Trail and highly recommend it. That's also a nonprofit. And yeah, big big shout out to Tommy. Appreciate him helping helping out that situation. And then also, last but not least, Exoskin. They've given me a generous promo code T the number four U twenty. And you'll get twenty percent off your order. I use both the toe socks and the non-toe socks. I use the calf sleeves that I really like. And the base layers are incredibly soft. All the gear, it doesn't smell after you use it. Like, you can sweat it, sweat it out, essentially, like I did at Moab. And it was, of all my gear after Moab, none of my exoskin gear smelled at all. Um, It has just a high-tech fabric. You only have to wash it once every, like, four uses. Delicate cycle. Um, and you don't even have to dry it. So it's it's pretty easy. Like, if I was doing a through-hike of, like, the CT, and this would be, like, the most ideal um, gear. So I want to give them a shout-out. Last, Lastly, I need to say thank you to Patreon supporters. You guys are huge supporters. Love the behind-the-scenes conversations we have on Facebook. And let's get to it. I'm joined by the two winners of the Training for Ultra Challenge 2. So this was a competition of just time on your feet, just active time. It was really cool. It took place on Strava. Big congrats to Chris on officially winning the challenge. Congrats, man. Thanks. And uh, Sean Sean did the minimum of that seven hours required to 
kind of be entered in the lottery um, to win, and he is the second winner. So big, big congrats, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, Glad to be here. Guys. I'm also joined by Michelle Barton, Cheetah Mermaid. Just open it hey, up, Rob, Michelle. Chris, open Chris. it up. I know you're dying to ask these guys questions. All right. Chris and Sean, I want to know what you guys threw down and what your totals were for the week. Uh, so I did 13 hours and 41 minutes, and I did 80.3 miles, according to Strava. Nice. Sick. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good yeah. week. So, so how did that was... feel? Oh, go ahead. Uh, it was great. Um, I am training to hopefully run 100 miles in February in 30 hours, and so I did back-to-back marathons. I did one in Idaho on Saturday and one on Sunday. So that's where most of my time came from. Chris, that's impressive, that's awesome. man. Yeah. Yeah, it was super cool. Wow. It was a cool, cool experience. And Sean, let's hear about your um, your time on feed or, or active time. So, so what's funny about this is it was probably the least amount of, mi- of miles that I had run in the previous two months or so, or or time on feet. So I was at eight hours and twelve minutes, um, and I ran sixty one point six miles. But the caveat was is I had two days off, and I ran my first fifty k trail race in that week. So it was a great week, but I, I truly did define the the minimal end of it. <laughs> that's a good yeah. That's a good thing actually. If you're in a an actual race. That's interesting. How, how'd you like that first 50K? So it was awesome. So I'm, I'm a native of Arizona. I live in Southern California now. And so it was really cool to just come back. And, and, my, and my first race was um, was the Cape Creek Thriller 50K. And and uh, it was just cool to be back home, to run run in the desert and, and come up with a second place finish. Um, and, and a fifth, I believe, fifth fastest course record. So... I didn't run it as fast Whoa. as I wanted, but That's I was crazy. Yeah, I was I was stoked at at the uh, at making that transition because I've run 14 marathons in in four years, um, right? And didn't run prior to that. So my first experience as an ultra, um, getting into that little longer distance, I just I, now I'm like fully in love and ready to just start running all over the place. That's awesome. We love that. That is funny. That last we just five miles feel. <laughs> well, I spent the previous two months like tr- running in the heat of the day in Southern California because I, I just knew it. I knew it was going to be like 95 degrees in the middle of October. And it turns yeah. out that it was an abs. I think, you know, in, in Southern California at home, it was a downpour that day and it made it this way. And so the last five miles were were really actually pleasant because it was chilly and it was perfect, perfectly wet and fun, but the, the climbing yeah. in the last few miles were, were definitely a little challenging, but not near the quad soreness that I, that I feel when I, when you pound the pavement in a marathon on the road. No, it's just not the same. Totally. Absolutely. Hey, Chris, where are you from? Uh, originally Colorado Springs, but I'm living in Spokane, Washington. Okay, cool. And yeah. And so are you guys both training on trails mostly at this point? It kind of depends on uh, it for me. I try to do trails a couple days a week, but uh, I do a lot of, because we have the Centennial Trail in Spokane, which is essentially like 40 miles paved trail. So I do a lot okay. on that. Yeah. And then for myself, um, I, I kind of take what I'm given. So I have a pretty demanding job and I, I travel about 60% of the year. And so 
unfortunately, sometimes I'm on a treadmill or I'm just out pounding, pounding the pavement. But there's no flat area in, uh, in Laguna Niguel. So I'm constantly, um, whether I'm running through a neighborhood or dipping off into a trail around there, I kind of get a, a 50-50 mix of kind of a little of everything. So um, I've been trying to, to tackle the trails in the dirt a lot more, though. Are we neighbors? I was going to say, do you guys know each other? Like, what's so going on? Are you kidding me? So it's funny. <laughs> I, I, I was just digging through your Instagram and I was like, I've probably like passed by you on some of these trails in the last where do you, few months. Where do you live? Where Where do you live? Uh, right off of Crown Valley in the five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're probably like three miles away from each other. Yeah. So I so spent, like, if I'm running, like if I'm doing hill repeats, I'll usually head over to like, Nellie Gale and, and there's some hills that I'll use as like my usual workout if I'm doing like continuous repeats and stuff like that. And I just I just explored all of that area by foot. It's 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 been fun. I've lived there eight months. So I'm definitely getting oh, out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You should go to Mount Baldy. There's some good game there. I I need to. I need to. Unfortunately I also have a eight week old little baby boy, my first child. So that's another challenge I've oh. I've uh, I've been tasked with too is like I want to get out and I, I'm telling my wife, hey, I'm going to add a few more miles and hours to my training, but I'll be around. I'll be here to help, you know, <laughs> but, so I know um, yeah. but, but, right. about that way too, way too well. Um, <laughs> right. So question for all three of you guys, uh, just kind of like a more quick question. What's your favorite training run? Chris, let's start with you. So we have Mount Antoine in Spokane Valley and there's this, it's a, probably about a thousand feet up to the top and then you come back down and it's this beautiful ring around the peak and then so i do that a lot it's probably my one of my favorites um or in colorado springs doing bar trail like in the incline in that too definitely some of my favorites um and i live there most of my life so that's got a place in my heart yeah it's an awesome trail how about you sean um for I, i gotta i gotta divert back to uh some intense marathon training. I love mile repeats. Like I just absolutely love getting on the track and oh. doing mile repeats. Nice. That's, I don't know. I just, I'm, I, I, I'm sort I of the opposite. I can't, <laughs> I can't stand 800s to save my life. Like they're so painful. I, I hate them, yeah. but I can, I can do eight times mile repeats with like two minutes rest in between. And like, for whatever reason, I just click into gear every single one of them and get going. And I just, I just love it. Michelle. That could be more painful than a hundred miler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Seriously. So I would say one of my very favorite training runs would be in Tuolumne Meadows, Yosemite, um, running to Cathedral Lakes, running to Vogelsang, like pretty much anywhere in Tuolumne Meadows. But ultimately, my most favorite place to run is like in Alberta, Canada, and there's so many places. You know, I love racing there. So I would say top two is like Yosemite and then Alberta, Canada. So, nice. but I'd love to get to to Europe like you did, Rob, one of these days. Yeah, I wish I could say CCC was just a training run, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, that was that was the big race of the year for me. Uh, well, that's that's what it was planned to be. Um, so let's hear just because I I am like fascinated with your guys' backgrounds and everything, and forgive me if I'm jumping all around, but worst running experience you've ever had and michelle i'll include you because this is just fun okay. hearing different stories here chris what, oh, what is the worst you too? 
<laughs> you guys already know. I I saw snakes under right. every freaking rock for <laughs> four <laughs> for four hours straight. <laughs> I know, but like you don't like spiders or bears. Yeah, uh, grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, grizzlies. Right. In sp- I saw a big spider at Moab, and apparently, just I mean, just was walking down the trail. Uh, it was mating season, so he had kind of like a a stride to step, and I or maybe it was a her. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, but I didn't freak out. So apparently, grizzlies are my main fear at this point, and sharks. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, so worst worst experience running, Chris. Let's hear it. Let's hear some honesty. Uh, ooh, it's okay. So there's okay, only a few okay. thousand people that will hear this. Um, I'm gonna say I was doing a training run and I had prepared. I had water for lots of times. I had bladder. I had extra bottles, and I was planning to be out for like 25 miles. Um. And I get to the top of this mountain and I start cruising down and I feel like I'm running six minute miles and I'm, everything is going great. And I get to the bottom and I'm kind of on this flat and start running. And all of a sudden my stomach goes, nope, you're done. And I had to walk like five miles home because that's all I could do. That's all I could do because my stu- <laughs> like, yeah, I was ready to just everything out. And so I just had to walk this for like two hours almost just home, back to my car in the trailhead so pretty terrible tummy had the rumblies uh i did i've I've been there (laughs) yeah for sure hey sean what about you man so clearly i haven't had a lot of experience on the trail so again i'm going to go back to um i I, the worst i've ever this experience has to deal with the worst i've ever felt and that was running the boston marathon this year because the weather was just the absolute worst and by mile 18 or 19, like I was just hypothermic and my body was just like in survival mode and, and it was just truly a miserable feeling. So for like that one, like peak race of the year that I trained so hard for, and then just to be dealt that hand of cards was just quite challenging when you're just not used to running in that cold with that amount of headwind and that amount of rain and sleet. And so it was it was super painful, but I finished. So that that's what counted that day. I think was just finishing, and and uh, so unfortunately, I have to say Boston because that. But that's supposed to be the most like enjoyable place yeah. to be in, in a race. You, you know, work, you work so hard to get there. I couldn't imagine. But at the same time, it's like to me, it's it's like I don't, it toughened you up. Clearly, I mean, you just took. Would you say runner up at the fifty k? And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I took. A, I I didn't heal quite well after the, Boston was the only race of any distance that I towed the line this year in April, and I kind of took a little bit of time off my feet in the summer, and then I just thought I need I need a different challenge. Like the intensity of the marathon's a little too much. Not to say that like ultras mm-hmm. aren't intense, but like that like that yeah. that 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 speed with that twenty six miles is just. It's intense, and I put a lot of pressure on myself. Yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad at it, and it hurts worse (laughs) than like a a 50k. If you if you mess up, definitely. If you mess up a 50 miler, and you have 15 miles to go, I was just talking to Dave. Um, We we just went on a a six mile run together, and we were just talking about this. He ran that Boston, and we both agreed like marathons hurt worse than a lot of ultras. I mean, if you pace the ultra correct, um, yeah. So. Yeah, it was, I, I, I've definitely learned how to run 
more by feel over the last few months. And like my coach has really been coaching me like we, we can kind of calm down a little bit and let's just work on time on feet and then we'll implement the specifics and then we'll get you ready to go and then we'll race. And, and it's been awesome. Michelle, let's hear about your worst well, run ever. Worst okay. experience First out there. I do have a friend that just recently transitioned from running like hundred milers into running like serious road marathons and he wants to like qualify for the Olympics. And I said, be honest, like, tell me what hurts worse. And he's like, no one's going to believe me, but the marathon hurt worse than the hundred miler. And I totally can see that because it's just like pounding so intense. Like it's so painful if you're really it like is, pushing, it is. you know, I like mean... a sub three twenty. I mean, two twenty. <laughs> yeah. Or even a 420. I mean, like, <laughs> I I did 30. Yeah. I did 32 hours on my feet at Run Rabbit Run, and then like a few months later, did the Columbus Marathon. Again, yeah. incredibly slow marathon, but still, the pounding of the pavement probably hurt worse than just DNFing at Run Rabbit Run up after 20,000 feet. As odd as that sounds, but right, yeah. Um, it's the worst training run. I will tell you. Okay, so I got into Western States. This was like rewind back to 2004. Okay, so I was super excited, went for a training run with three of my friends on the local mountain here, Saddleback, um, and uh, broke my ankle. Like, we were 10 miles from the car. And so, like, one of my friends had to help, like, piggyback me back to the car, and I just thought it was sprained. I never had been injured ever in my life, and I was pretty new into running, and then was, like, out for eight weeks in a hard cast and crutches. You know, Rob, you broke your ankle. You can relate to that. So yeah. that was worst training run. But then I, I uh, came back strong, and then you know I was winning a lot of races after that because I think I just appreciated what what I had just lost. You know, in totally. one millisecond you go from like having a blast, and then you you just appreciate taking a shower, or, like being yeah. able to walk, <laughs> yes. walk to your without putting a bag kitchen. over your foot and all that. Oh, yeah. that was awful. Yeah, yeah totally. And that. I would say, like, worst race ever was, like, well, Badwater was pretty brutal by, like, ni- mile 99. Um, my dad had come out at that exact moment when I was just suffering the worst, and I was, like, barely averaging one mile an hour walking downhill, all bent over and just, like, messed up. And then I, I uh, realized, like, I needed to take a break, so I took six hours started back and then was like a brand new person you know how rob you mentioned at moab where you're taking these like like i don't believe you sometimes when you're like oh yeah i took like a five minute nap because my pacer had to go to the bathroom and i was totally refreshed but it works like sometimes you really do have to take that and believe like you can twist it around and the whole thing is a roller coaster and you you know you guys that are just running like these 50k 50 miles like you'll see that you have to just stay positive and believe like you will come back from the worst pain and low. It's just like incredible how the body is so mysterious. So I would say bad water was good and bad, but I did finish. I, I was like so. running. I was like at mile 40 during Moab and I'm running with this dude. And he's like, yeah, normally I do bad water. I mean, this race isn't like that bad compared to like typically my annual training. Like I peak out for bad water and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 so true. And then I like, it's like, well, well, have a good race. And I like immediately slowed down and started walking because I knew like, 
whoa, I do not need to be running with this group. Like, these guys are... I think it was mile 30, so that was, like, before I bonked, actually. Um, well, you went out hard. I No, I, I was I was just feeling good. Um, yeah, I, I watched it all un, unfold online. I was aggressive. <laughs> I was aggressive. I mean, I, I was not out of my comfort zone at all. Um, yeah. I just, I still am, like, I've never dropped a gel during a race let alone eight of them like, oh I'm yeah still, that, i heard that oh <laughs> uh, like i'm that still miserable how did yeah it was it was rough but how did you for how did you forget the food twice i think we need a moab episode part two because we gotta get back <laughs> to i was i i was like so i i like somehow pumped myself up to just get out and i was just like number three out like I'm back. Yeah. Like, and then a mile later, I was, yeah, uh, I was, I was pretty dumb. But I figured out, like, I had headphones in, and so when I pulled out my poles out of my pack, that's why I didn't hear the bag of nutrition fall out because I, I kept going through it. And I'm like, how could I not have heard that fall? Like, that's a pretty big bag. And then I was like, oh, I had headphones in, and I was just jamming out. Um, but you don't feel your pack got lighter. When it uh, fell out? No. 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 You were too focused on snakes. Um, <laughs> I I don't even know when it happened, so uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know. Next question, bro. Let's hear, let's hear um, your your favorite running gear, and then I want to hear kind of like goals going forward, whether it's 2019, 20, 25. 2030. So favorite, that was a joke. I'm sorry, guys. Um, first Chris or <laughs> uh, let's start with Chris again, favorite running gear. And then let's hear your, your goals going forward. Oh, my favorite running gear. Um, right now I'm going to say my Hoka speed goats. I have never felt more like a tank in a pair of shoes. Like <laughs> I run, I ran over everything and I'm just like, I'll be fine. That, that steep, that steep Rocky thing. Yeah, I'll be fine. And I just, there's a lot of confidence. And so right now it's my Hoka Speed Goats um, or my watch. I really like my watch because people at work are always like, oh, how many, I'm at like 7,000 steps at work. And I'm like, (laughs) "Uh, I'm at 14,000. My goal is 18,000 today. So uh, get on my level. (laughs) But, and then. I need to look at how many steps Moab was. I, I haven't thought about that. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's a lot of steps. Like I put in a lot of steps and then my dog Diesel and I put in a lot of steps together too. But I think, um, going forward, I'm running stories ultra in Colorado Springs. It's a 30 hour kind of looped, uh, race where you run four different loops and then you start at the first loop again and you do the four loops again and each gets a little bit tougher and a little bit more elevation. And then you come back and you kind of restart and you get to do the easy loop, easy loop, um, again, so that's, that's like the immediate goal. That's what I've kind of been training for since July. Um, my two marathons in two days was just kind of seeing where I'm at. And then after that kind of depends on where, um, where I'm at and what I, um, how I'm feeling. I like to believe that a hundred miles is something I'd like to continue to do, but I just don't know after that, that's kind of my immediate. So February 9th in Colorado Springs, I'll be running Stories Ultra with um, Human Potential Running series. So, and I'm really excited about that. 
Yeah, that's I never heard of awesome. that one. I was looking at that. I think uh, I hit a conflict, though. Um, yeah. But yeah, at some point, I'll, I'll be checking that one out. That's awesome. You'll you'll enjoy that. Sean, let's, let's hear your favorite running gear and kind of goals going forward. So I'm going to go shoes and... Um... I, I've, it, it's funny. I did not for, for the past few years, I have not liked the ultra lone peak. Um, mm. and ever since the, the four has come out, like I've fallen in love with the lone peak four. Um, I also like the temp a lot now, now that I've been on the trails a lot more. So definitely the Escalante on the road and then, um, the, the lone peak four. And with that, um, cause I know you always ask this. I'm toe socks. I love toe <laughs> socks. I'm toe socks all the way. Nice, um, I just love the, the, the freedom that my feet feel. And clearly those shoes are designed to, to, to have that space in there. So you can, so your feet can kind of operate that way. Some, um, at some point you got to check out the exoskins. Like I, I will, I, I had been like an Injinji guy for almost every race. And I was, I was totally like, uh, this is, this is, sounds like maybe a gimmick or something like, uh, and then, yeah, after Moab and no blisters, I'm like, okay, I'm converted. Like, yeah, I'd give, yeah, I'd give it a shot. I, and it's funny, I, I'm such a creature of of habit. Like, all of my friends know that about me. So, like, if one thing works, I just like I I'm stick a, with it forever. I'm the and same so, way. I'm totally yeah. the same way. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stock. Like, I'm stockpiling. I'm stockpiling hokas. Yeah, I like <laughs> them. I stockpile them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went through my my last pair of Hoka ATR threes. I was totally bummed. I had to use them at Moab, and I had bought five pairs when they were like, okay, the Model 4 is out. And so everyone's like, oh, screw the threes. They're, they're what like, size do you wear? I have um, a brand new pair of those, too. What size do you wear? <laughs> uh, nine and a half. Yeah. Okay. They're a little too big. <laughs> um, typically, like a nine, I think, yeah. in, in just normal shoes, but running shoes, nine and a half. So. Yeah. Sean. Mine what, don't work. Sorry. <laughs> no, I appreciate the offer. Anyone with ATR threes, nine and halves, send me a message. Um, <laughs> I will buy them off you. Sean, what what's your uh, race goal going forward? So, or just um, goals in general. I, my next race is going to be Black Canyon hundred K on um, February sixteenth. And be right, nice. yeah, yeah, I know, I know you'll be there, right? And then, nice. and I look forward to kind of seeing some other people that that'll probably be there and. Um, and uh, I, I think beyond that, I don't. I, I'm going to see how I fare with that. I, I really want to try to, to, to let, that's like the next ultimate test. And I want to like really see how I can do there and just see how far I can push myself and, and see what I can do. Of course, it'll be like the weather will be miserable. Like it seems to follow me in every race I go to, but, but hopefully not. Yeah. Um, and then like long term, I think transitioning into more of these longer distances, like I just, I just want to get out and explore more and get out into the mountains. And like, I I've only lived in Southern California for nine months, but I spent the last two years in mm. San Francisco and I've always lived in these big cities prior to that Phoenix and, and Vegas. And I just, I need to get out where it's like peaceful and quiet and just like kind of connect with the world a little bit more because like, I'm just so caught up in like airports and airplanes and commuting and traffic and all this crap. And I just want to kind of get rid of all that a little bit. And so I have, I have an ultimate goal of doing, of just doing some of that and then also like continuing to run and push myself and challenge myself to the point where even like my son starts to grow up and like, and, and he starts to learn of like my, my love, my, my 
reborn, my reborn um, love for running from back when I was a kid um, and, and, and see maybe if that's something that he would enjoy too and, and go from there. So that's a real, you, you were, you were joking about 2030, but I'm not like, let's, let's talk about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's why, you know, we, we had a second kid. Cause I was like, okay, I need crew for 200 miler in 2030. Um, Michelle, really but quick. It's awesome to be able to share that. Like I can totally relate, like doing all that stuff with my dad going to Yosemite every summer. And like now Rob, you're sharing running with your dad. Like, I mean, it's, it, and your son, I mean, like it's so, so much uh, fun to build those memories that last a lifetime together, like out in the mountains. And I agree with like, you know, racing is cool and, and fun and important, but like, those adventures you have just to go out and maybe go camping and hiking and running. Like sometimes like your own personal goal can be more fun. Like we talked about this with Dean Parnassus before, cause we were asking like, what's more fun, like the races or like these adventures. And we both kind of were on the same page, like these adventures that we invent or make up can be like more satisfying than the, the races. So. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think that's actually why I was so intrigued with Moab because it wasn't mm-hmm. really a race. I mean, I like I said, I went right. in sort of like with this habitual like race mentality of like going through aid stations fast and and that whole mentality. And then once you're out there for so long, it becomes more of like almost like through hiking. I I would imagine if I were to like through hike the Colorado Trail. Um. Anyways, uh, Michelle, really quick, what's your favorite piece of gear? Just one. And, uh, well, and on the, uh, what's on the your goal going forward? Spectrum of, okay, so I'm, I would say my favorite piece of gear is a Luna Sandals because I really enjoy just uh, feeling the wind running through water, just being free. And it's just like I always have a m- much more of a better experience um, running in the Lunas. It's just like adds a little extra uh, notch of fun. And so uh, that would be my favorite kind of running cool. gear. But yeah, I have cool. a, a lot more. Um, and then what else is the question? My goals? Yeah. Yeah. What What's what are you shooting for either 2019 or long-term races or just in general? Yeah, I would like to run UTMB. I'm a few points short of uh, – I have enough points for CCC, but um, so I need to get a few more for UCMB, and then I'd like to run the Moab, and uh, a few more. I'd like to do a stage race, like self-supported stage race in uh, Namibia um, or Peru, and um, I would like to continue to do a few more races in Canada that I haven't done yet. You wanted you want to do the Patagonia. There's some like extreme ten day stage race there. Um, okay, let's go. Okay, sounds. Good. I think it's in December, so uh, we got two Self-supported? months. Self-supported. So. I I don't know. I it it might not be. Um, well, I was gonna say. I'm totally drooling wait, over it, it though. Are you? I know. I saw you post that. Chris or Sean? Wait, which one? Which one of you guys ran the two marathons? Uh, did? I did. Chris, hi. Okay. I did. Okay, Chris. 
So, like, if you are digging that and you like that, I would really recommend somewhere down the road that you sign up and run Trans Rockies because it's basically like running a marathon a day for six days, and it's so much fun. And you would be shocked. Like, my dad will vouch for this. Like, as the race progresses, somehow your body, like, adapts and gets stronger and stronger as it goes. It's just like, oh, yeah, we just wake up, and then we run for 25, 26 miles. And it's really cool, and they do a great job. So if you're liking that, just uh, sign up. Yeah. I've got some – that's stuff that I'd like to do. Um, down the road. Down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's sweet that you did back to back marathons. Like I've I know I've, I've toyed it with it painful. and yeah, it was painful. Yeah, it, it was. You all are talking about road marathons, and I the first day I set a PR, which wasn't by much, but I was I was feeling so good, I was feeling so strong, and I get up the next day and everything hurt, and I was like, I'm gonna have to walk this and just hope that they don't kick me off the course, and then. As I got moving, I was like, okay, I'm feeling better. And then I caught a guy who was like 78 running with me. He was the oldest runner in the race. And just, he's got like like 50 something results on ultra sign up. And I was just like, and we talked for like 10 miles, just about all this stuff. And so I was really like re-energized by him. And then when he started and he's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I was like, well, I can't like I can't leave him. I want to go with him, so I just kept getting dragged along by him for like mile twelve through twenty two or something. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So let's let's wrap it up with one. We'll flip this on its head. Chris, Sean, I'll, I'll let Chris open it up. Any questions for me or Michelle? Throw throw them at us. Let's let's hear them. Chris, you're up first. Sean, you can follow up and uh, again. You guys, you guys won the Training for Ultra Challenge too. So, huge congrats! A lot of time on your feet. We'll have Yay, a, we'll congrats. have a, we'll have a challenge three. So stay tuned. Strava Run Club, maybe Patreon group. Um, but yeah, I, seriously, I, I think it's awesome that you guys participated and were into it. Um, so let's let's flip the interview on its head, and I mean, throw us questions. You have a question for Michelle or myself? Hmm. That's a lot of pressure to go first. So I think I'm going <laughs> to, um, no, 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 no. I, I, I guess like you talked about your worst experience running. What is the best experience? Like the time that you felt like no pain or something, just like the oh. greatest running experience, like where you're in that euphoric state and it's just amazing. I, I had it happen twice, uh, at Moab. So I keep saying mile 208, but I forgot that the course was two miles longer. So it's mile 210, hitting like a like 8:45 pace, just like not being able to comprehend that my body was moving so well after just hours and hours of um, just major major ups, major downs. Um, and then before that, actually, I think it was mile like 160-ish. I went into flow for probably an hour, and it was like a next level. Like, I've never experienced that level of flow. Um, it was like borderline religious. I don't really know how to explain it, but I, I just felt like I was floating, floating along for an hour. 
um, not feeling like I was running, even though I was like mentally and physically pretty much exhausted. So for me, yeah, well, it was, like it was Moab. Above your body? No, no, like no, car, no. Down? no car, no, yeah, no car, no. Yeah, no car. How did you know? <laughs> yeah. Michelle, let's hear yours. You'll get there. Okay, I have a few. I would say my best was the Havelina 100 mile and the 100K because uh, that was like the first 100 miler I won and I had like this amazing day. Like I wouldn't have changed anything. It just was magical, you know, like the flow kind of thing. I never mm-hmm. ever thought I would ever run like sub 20, like this is back in the day like this is 2006 so like these times that the dudes are pulling now is insane like what patrick <laughs> ran like a 13 hour 13, yeah. so um, yeah i was i was happy to go like 19 hours and then i was also happy to win the 100k and beat all the guys like that was uh really like a, a surprise kind mm-hmm. of like a cool experience i uh, and it was hard, like, you know, that the heat there and everything, like I worked for it and I was in pain and it was brutal, but like, that was probably one of the more satisfying. Also, um, another one that comes to mind is Badwater Salton Sea that I know Rob has his eye on. And, uh, so, um, I ran that in, uh, 17 hours and, uh, got the course record. And that was like just a, a good distance, a good race. Like if you want a taste of Badwater, but don't want to run the full 135 miles. This is 81 miles, and it's just classic. Like, I love the course. It's a mix of dirt and pavement, and you have a crew. It's just, like, it's one of my favorite races of my life. So, I'd, there you go. What if what <laughs> if we get Carno out there, Michelle? Would you do it again? I've asked him. that Carno always has a conflict with the North Face, um, one of those Endurance Challenge events that same weekend, but we can still ask. Him. Yeah, the the one out east. Yeah, okay. I think it's like Blue Mountain yeah. or whatever. Um, a, any other last questions, Chris? You're you're no, a champion. I think I'm good. You're a champion. Thanks. Get him in. Sean, do you have any questions for us? So so he went like the positive route. I'll go like the the deep pain route. So <laughs> um, huh. talk about a time where like you like you've never done dug deeper in a race and like what race was it and like what was going on like not hey i i broke my ankle but like where did you truly dig the deepest like i love listening and hearing stories about how people like separate their mind from their body and just know that they can forge ahead and so it's cool to hear those stories i mean michelle let's let's hear yours first but i think like you know, it's so mental that once, like, if you're at the start line of a race, like, even I know Rob was confident for Moab, and he pretty much, like, committed to himself that he was going to finish. And I think if you have that, like, no matter what you're going through, you're not going to find an excuse to quit. But there's so many excuses that can pop up along the way of even a 50 mile like for example i was running the pct pacific crest trail 50 miler one year i had just run the miwok 100k the week prior and got a hideous case of poison oak like i'm highly allergic so i was like on prednisone and just like i was running this pct race it was super hot all of a sudden just start peeing blood and it was like mile 40 that had never happened i didn't know what was going on and um just 
I kind of had to like get help from a couple guys and just kind of like try to to get through that. That was probably one of the scariest and not pleasant experiences running. But I think in the beginning, when you're first getting into ultras, like you figure things out along the way. It's cool that now, like Rob has a podcast, there's a lot of information out there nowadays. So maybe you don't have to do so much trial and error because like back when I started like 15 16 years ago there wasn't any of that you just kind of figure it out and like oh I guess I should take salt pills or oh I I need to uh lube up my feet or whatever the case may be but it's just awesome we have so much information out there now so um I mean I've made pretty much every mistake you can ever make but I I think that all those races that are horrible that you have the most suffering and pain that are the most memorable and you look back and I mean for me all the races that maybe I've won or had a great time like I don't have super vivid memories but the ones where I suffered like the ones in Canada a few that I've done um even recently like they were pretty hard and and uh, yeah, there were a few tears, but I, I I got to the finish line, and I think that's super satisfying. So just keep believing in yourself, and you just keep learning. Like just get all the information you can from all these resources, and just keep pushing. Like Rob, you had no idea you were going to run that far, and you just went for it. I think that's like a good way to do things. Just kind of like don't overthink it; just try it and see what happens and give your all. Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, for me, ironically enough, the two like deepest digging that I've, I've ever had to do was my first, my first race, uh, a half marathon just on a paved road, like a paved sidewalk, uh, bike path and, uh, just really, really injuring myself cause I was only two months into running and uh, I, I pushed myself too hard. It was an out and back. And I remember distinctly looking back and seeing the very last place runner um, you know, coming to catch me in the last probably 200 yards to the finish line and just looking forward and, and basically like crying in pain because my knee hurt that bad but not wanting to get last place uh so that that was digging really deep and uh that was just that was a total disaster and i almost quit running didn't after i that. see that on instagram uh you you might have seen a picture of it i might have tried to rehash it it'll be yeah. in the book. it'll be in the book and everything um but then Moab. So my very first race and my most recent race, I mean, Moab, when I realized I had several hours to go and I was dehydrated and I ran completely out of water and completely out of food and had to somehow um, get myself there was just like, I, I'm still not sure how I managed to do it. And then not only to do that once, but then to have to go through it all over again for twice the amount of time was like I mean I I really had every excuse to drop even at that first aid station and uh, I just I'm not really sure how I got through it uh, it was one of those I mean there was deeper meaning to it I think that was what was really important realizing like uh, having perspective 
and just being grateful and and really just uh, I don't know I I ended up talking to someone that was in equal equally as rough of a spot or trying to because she only spoke uh, Spanish and uh, and we almost just like pulled each other out of like the deepest and darkest um, spot and she I believe she ended up dropping uh, at the next aid station so she only made it 73 or 74 miles Um, and I was right I was literally right there uh, in that same spot so I, I don't know how I pulled out of it, but, uh, yeah, thankful I did because it, looking back, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life and it all happened on the second half and almost negative split that 240 guys. I tried, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's so neat when you can just, when you're just pouncing along next to somebody and having a conversation or chatting your way through things. And before you know it, like miles are just passing and passing and passing and like they're just and time is just ticking by and you just I I, I, I tend to do that marathon or, or or this most recent race like I was I, I, I a guy started running side by side with me maybe mile two and we ran for like 15 miles together and before I knew it like I had run the 10 10 12 15 miles in a row all within 10 seconds of each other and we just had this great conversation and it was just it was just awesome and then there was like a letdown when he kind of started pulling back and he told me to go and it, i just wanted us to finish the race together but it was it was fun it was a cool experience that's awesome i love that mm-hmm. yeah you guys you guys did awesome uh on the challenge i really appreciate you taking the time to join Michelle and i and again if you want your chance to to be on the podcast, the challenge three will be coming up, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch, guys. So keep me posted on on how things are progressing over the next year, and um, everyone that's on this podcast becomes a friend, and I I would like to you know stay in touch and have you back on the show. So congrats and congratulations. Yeah, thanks yeah, thanks for taking thanks. the time, guys. Yeah, no, thank you, and I'll I'll, I'll see you in February here in Arizona. Awesome. Chris, thank you very much, and congrats on the big win. Thanks. Michelle, Michelle, just get back on the bike. Get back on the bike. (laughs) You you didn't win that. I need some coaching on that 240. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. All right, and before we get to the main interview, I promised a real quick gear review on the Lucky poles that I used during Moab 240. Big shout out to Patrick. I normally test gear thoroughly, especially before a big race. And so I was super excited um, getting fitted by Patrick. So the poles that I used during CCC were a little short. And so I had the Lecky poles are a little taller. And they also have uh, a strap that goes around your hand that clicks in and out of the pole. So you don't have to actually squeeze and hold onto the poles, which... I'm categorizing as like game changing for my race. I mean, to have to squeeze onto poles for 96 hours um, is difficult. Just if you're standing in your room or wherever you are, just holding onto poles for 96 hours, I mean, your hands are going to hurt. So, this pole system, just phenomenal. I'll have more on it um, in future episodes. But, you know, if you are looking for poles, I, you know, I'm not being paid by Lucky or, you know, they're not a sponsor. I just, 
I recommend their polls. It seems to be a game changer for me, and I'll definitely be using them in the future. So just wanted to include that. And then Ian, uh, I got a question from a listener asking about, should I do the Leadville 100? You know, he his name's was selected, he deferred, and he's been battling some injuries, and he also has some stresses just in life, work's been stressful, and my overall sense from the email was he wasn't really feeling it, but it was one of those, like, his coach wanted him to do it, and he, like, in the back of his head wants to do it, and he's like, what should I do? Like, I need some some words of wisdom with, in, like, inspiration and, and whether I should do this race. And so I told him I'd reply on, on the podcast, actually. And my personal opinion, I'm not a coach, but if uh, if a race isn't, you don't sign up and you're excited and getting out of bed and, like, looking forward to it daily, it's sort of a recipe for a DNF. So, I mean, Ian's a talented enough runner. Maybe he could gut out a finish. Maybe he could injure himself without proper training because Leadville's Leadville's Leadville. I mean, you do have to work um, very hard to finish that race, and it's at altitude. And I think he mentioned he's at sea level, actually. So the commitment level to finishing a hundred miler, in my opinion, like it really needs to stoke your training fire. Like deep down, like you have to want it, because when it's mile seventy-five and it's pouring rain and it's muddy, or whatever the circumstances are. You need like the bigger reason to get out there and to keep just gutting it out and finishing. Um, and 100 miles is a long distance. He said he had done a 50 miler before. And my personal opinion is that maybe 100K just to sense like beyond 50 miles how your body's feeling for that next 13. And then um, timed events are really helpful. But yeah, don't take it lightly. And fundamentally, I mean, you have to be excited to train for whatever goal it is, whether it's a race or whether it's whatever the goal is. Like, if it doesn't really excite you, then maybe you need to look at a different goal. Um, and you might say, like, oh, well, Rob, you, you've you done a race, like, every month. Are you really that excited about each and every one of them? And I, I approach certain races as long runs that are fully supported which is awesome because trying to support yourself on 50 mile runs by yourself is can be a little difficult can be dangerous actually in certain circumstances so no i'm not excited about every single run but when i or every single race but when i know that that race is like the perfect stepping stone for my ultimate goal for the year yeah it lights a fire under me inside me it's getting me outside to uh do those training runs when i have every excuse in the world not to do it so ian best of luck thank you for the question and lucky polls patrick thank you for fitting me on those and yeah truly appreciate it i thought those polls were game changing let's get to the main event <laughs> i'm i'm joined here by andrea Koyman. She is a middle-of-the-pack crusher slash watch out because if she has a good race, she'll basically be on the podium. Andrea, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) After all that practice. (laughs) I know. I know. So funny. 
I mean, look up her name and try to tell me how to say it. Um, I've run into a bunch of your friends throughout time, and they're all like, hey, you have to talk to our friend. She's a badass. Like, And so I've heard, I've heard of you. There were murmurs. And then so funny. I'm flying out to CCC, and our plane... I didn't know we were on the same plane, has engine failure, like engine problems as it's backing up to take off for an international flight. And so freaky, they... Really freaky. We, yeah, they're like, oh, uh, yeah, our right engine wouldn't start again. Like, we're going to yeah. try to just start it up and let you guys go, but, you know, we couldn't get it started. Um, <laughs> we won't name the airline. No, we'll leave that out. But, so we all deboard or deplane so that um, they ended up, we switched planes to one that actually worked. But I noticed one person in particular who wasn't freaking out, texting people, blah, blah, blah. They they went, they got food. They were like... Donuts in particular. I <laughs> saw a salad, donuts. but I, I don't know, maybe something <laughs> different. And then hits a restroom and is just like in the zone. And I'm just like, she's an ultra runner. I know she's an ultra runner. Um, just by how she's handling the situation, like she's not wasting time. She's in the zone. Like I know she's an ultra runner. And then I checked Instagram hashtag UTMB and I had, I had like a outer body experience when you were like the number one trending hashtag. And I like no looked way. up, I looked up. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, that person, I just saw them right there. Um, cause he That's took a so photo funny. there. And so we're in a van once we make it into Europe. There's like an hour van into Chamonix. And guess who was in the van? It was Andrea. So That was so crazy, too, because as we're telling stories, as ultra runners do, we realized we had so many different connections of people. It's just such a small community, you know, six degrees to Kevin Bacon, you know, six degrees to ultra running or whatever. <laughs> we were just, it was, it was blew my mind. It was it was a weird experience because I was like, I think you were talking about what races you had done, and I was like, never summer, and then like you were like, oh my friends, yeah, and then we just kept going back and forth. And I feel like I feel like the podcast had come up, but I don't remember. And oh, it did because and you had, had my, listened my to friend, it. You had my friend on. You had Cat on, and I'm like, I yeah. listened to it. It's so crazy. Anyhow, yeah. So blow my mind. You you were meant to be on this show because all your friends kept talking about you and how I needed to get a hold of you. And I'm I'm honored to have you on the show. I mean seriously. Thank you. Um you know, everyone has spoken so highly of you and I did I'm not going to lie like 30 minutes of uh you know digging in and I'm just blown away. So uh, yeah, I'm honored to have you on your first ultra running podcast. So thank you. How'd yes. you get, how'd you Big get deal. interested in running? This is such a goofy sport. Um, it, it is. So I am. Um, how'd you I've get started? I've always been the kind of person that had a lot of energy, even as a little kid. I mean, I think back in the day, if they would have had ADD or ADHD as a thing back then, I probably would have been diagnosed with it, you know, just because yeah. I was always so busy and running around. My mom said I was always running. And so even as a young child, my dad would take me out and we'd do these, you know, 50-yard dash track meets, these races. And, you know, I love that feeling of going fast and being up on the podium and winning and, you know, the, the wind in my hair and that kind of thing. And then I ran high school cross country and I really did it more for the social aspect because I, at that point I really wasn't into the push as much. Um, 
but I always just ran for fitness. I've always considered myself a runner. It was my place where I could clear my head, where I could, you know, really think about things and, you know, calm down or, you know, have that release. And it was just something that I needed to do for, for me. And, you know, even after I had my first child, I just, you know, still, still ran. I just always ran. And it was one of those things where you, you think, oh, someday I'd like to run a marathon. You put it on your bucket list. And then a series of events, you meet somebody that happens to be a marathoner, retired ultra runner, and says that she'll train you to run your first marathon. And next thing you know, you're like years later running 100 milers yourself. It just, it was this kind of, you know, it just all kind of fell into place. But I've always considered myself a runner. I've always really enjoyed it as a sport. So you've never had those those down years of like being totally out of shape, you've always kind of sustained some, some level of fitness. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I'd say that I definitely had years where, you know, I was not as conscious about fitness, but you know, and, and, th- and during that time I might run like maybe once a week or maybe once every couple weeks or, but you know, I've, I've always been more conscious of fitness. But once I started marathoning, then it kind of took on a whole world of itself. So how how long were you marathoning? And like, um, I ran my first marathon in 2006 at the Orange County Marathon event, which was in a Jan, which was in January at that time. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, I mean, it was, you know, you're just a different person when you cross that finish line for the first time. And, um, you know, I thought, okay, I checked this off the list, and then my husband was actually the one that said well, how could you end it with just one? You don't want to be the girl that ran a marathon. You want to say, I've run marathons, plural. So he kind of nudged <laughs> nice. me into running my second one. I know. That's awesome. He, he, says, he, he says he regrets it because <laughs> 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 he had no clue. Um, Look what you started. But, you know, yeah, exactly. So it was January that I ran the OC marathon. And then in March, I went and ran the um, LA marathon as my second marathon. So it was only, you know, a, a few months later. And then after I did the second one, that's when I was really like, I got the bug. And then I signed up for my third one, which was later in the year I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. And um, so my, the year I ran my first marathon, I ran three marathons that first year. You're going for the, the good ones. Wow. I know. The, well, kind of bucket then, list I mean, marathons. Well, and in 2006, the entry to get into the Marine Corps Marathon was not like what it is now. I mean, I just remember going online and registering. It was like no big deal. You know, I mean, not that it wasn't a big deal to do it. I knew what a big deal the race was, but it just wasn't the, it wasn't as difficult to get in as it is now. Yeah. It would make a nice ultra event, actually. Just kind oh, of, right? It would. Yeah, Marine Corps 100 miler. Come on. Oh, yeah. Um, That's right. So, I mean, what what is fascinating with you with, like, the marathon distance? Like, like why... Because a lot of people might fall back on like local 5Ks and yet right. you're flying across the country and doing, you know, a big marathon. Well, I think for me, you know, growing up where, where I was, I started running the local turkey trot, which was a 10K back in 1989, because as a cross-country runner at Dana Hills High School, they required us either to run the race or volunteer at the race. And so I chose to run the race. And so since then, I've been, you know, frequenting that event like every year. So there was always a local... 5k or 10k around that I could do but the marathon really pushed me to this other level I had never gone that far and even the training you know it was a six month six month process to get me there and um you know it was at that time it was the hardest thing I'd ever done and I just 
I couldn't imagine even doing anything any more difficult than that. In fact, the woman, Michelle Ryan, who introduced me to marathoning was a retired ultra runner that had been in the Western States lottery and um, started the Western States 100, but, you know, didn't, didn't finish it. Um, you know, when she told me what ultra running was, I mean, I laughed at her and said that that was stupid. I'm like, who on earth would do that? That's dumb. Like, why would anyone ever do that? Don't talk to me about that. But, but a marathon, I could wrap my head around. Yeah. So, you know, it was just one of those things where it was so challenging and it was so trying. And once I did it and I knew I could finish, now I just wanted to, to do it better. I wanted to see, you know, how many I could do in one year and, and how, how much faster, how much time could I shave off and how much better could I do it? And so it became this, this thing where I, I wanted to push myself to do it better. And so that's when I decided I wanted to qualify for Boston. And so in 2010, I qualified for Boston and then ran Boston in 2011. And really after that, I just thought, you know, this whole like trying to push myself and run fast thing is, is kind of not my jam. Like I'd rather suffer longer than for a short period of time and harder. I don't know. So I thought, well, maybe I'll give this ultra running thing a try. I couldn't and, agree. <laughs> I could I could not agree with any comment ever said on this show more than that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, I just feel like if you're a goal-oriented person, especially when it comes to running, you have to make a choice. You you can either you could do it for the fun, sure, but and and I do. I have my fun races, but I'm also the kind of person that has some drive and some goals, and and I want to find ways to do things better. And so in that event, you you really have to choose: Am I going to do it faster, or am I going to go farther? And once you've kind of figured out what your race distance is of choice, then you can work on, you know, improving that time or, you know, or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, I, I did the marathon fast, and my Boston was not a good Boston marathon. I, I crashed and burned at Boston. And I've, I've made a couple attempts at qualifying against Stent, and I haven't properly trained for it. So it doesn't surprise me that I haven't qualified again since that first time. But, um, but once I got into the 50Ks, I ran my first 50K, and then two weeks later, I ran my second 50K. You know, that's how I do things. And that was oh, it. I did, um, I did Mount Disappointment out here, which is a very difficult 50K. Um, it's on the same uh, grounds as, like, the AC100 course. Um, and then I, nice. two weeks later, I did what's called Bulldog uh, 50K out here also in California. And then I waited a few months, and then I did my first 50-miler the following January. So that was summer months off did the, my first 50 miler in january and i loved it like once i did the 50 miler i was like this is really incredible and and that's when it kind of started opening up like at first i thought well i still couldn't do 100 mile but it was kind of lingering in the background like well maybe maybe i could so and so once it shifts to maybe yeah, you're like yeah almost there you know yeah, your fingers on the submit or whatever button uh, yes, ultra sign yep. up wait let's let's step back how did you even hear about a 50k because you know last time you, you were talking to your coach and you're saying like only idiots essentially would try to do oh, right, something beyond right. a marathon like how did how did that 50k come well, up so, and why so did you go for it she she had mentioned western states to me like when we were talking getting to know each other at the office because we worked together at a, a nutritional company we we sold um nutrition products like supplements and to pharmacies and doctors so that they could help people um reduce side effects of their prescription drugs so so we were already in this nutrition-based company talking about you know what we do for fitness outside of the company and so she's telling me about western states she's showing me pictures of her on the course she's telling me these stories about her hallucinations and all this stuff i'm like you're wackadoodle crazy. It's like, who are you? And, but then as we get to know each other, and we're, especially as we're training for the marathon, 
we start doing other things socially, like going to dinner and going to events, like, you know, art, art, um, there's pageant of the masters and Laguna beach, you know, going to these art shows and doing these things socially. Well, who do you think she invites? She invites her ultra running people because this is who she hangs out with, even though she's retired and she's not doing them anymore. And she's still running just not that far. You know, these are the people I'm talking to. And so they're all egging me on, you know, they're like, Oh, it's just a matter of time. And I'm like, Oh, you guys are crazy. No, no, no. And so eventually after hearing it multiple times, it becomes well peer pressure and it becomes more and more possible because when you only hear about one person doing it, they're the crazy person, right? But all of a sudden you're at dinner with like eight people that have done it. It's like, okay, well, these eight people you don't the weird one? different. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> not that much different than me. I mean, if yeah. he could do it, maybe I could do it. Like what, you know, what, what's to say that I couldn't? And so in doing that and in talking to people and then even in running some of the marathons, you run into people that have done these other ultras. And so I, I started training with, um, with a group called the OC uh, Trail Tales. Um, to get me to get myself ready for my first 50k, so I actually, you know, joined a, a club and started training with people because I didn't know any of the local trails. Very, I, mean, I was just a roadie. Yeah, I was gonna know? say that's like a very marathon type mentality to have um, the the weekly group run, and I, I think it's great and it's been successful for a lot of people. Um, and I know back when I lived in Columbus, I was like almost gonna do that whole marathon training group um right you got a free well, shirt it's account- too it's accountability well it's accountability <laughs> it is you know you're not going to be alone there's going to be somebody there when you start there's going to be somebody there when you finish you know if something goes wrong you're not going to get lost it's, you know it's just there was a, a comfort in it and um, i grew up mountain biking with my dad so i knew some of the local trails but this group was going on trails i had never been to and so that was you know that was kind of exciting too um i'm like definitely afraid of creatures like snakes and spiders too so you know, you wouldn't catch me going out on my own at that point in time on some of these trails because it just wasn't in my mentality. You know, uh, just, I'm not, I, I, I don't relate with. to the snake thing. Um, <laughs> if something has, as weird if as something that sounds, but the spiders, legs, yeah, oh God, yeah forget the it. legs, it's the legs that get me. Well, um, it is. For me, if it has too many legs or not enough legs, I want nothing to do with it. So two and four is about where I'm comfortable. So spiders, way too many legs, snakes, clearly not enough life. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it seems like it's your first 50 K to just finish cause no one cares about your time. Um, right. Is that how that went or? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I went up there with, um, I, in, in my journeys, in my travels, I met a, a few ladies that were, you know, ultra runners. They were doing, you know, 50 Ks and 50 milers all the time. They, they hadn't jumped over to the hundred miler scene but they were very well versed in the 50 mile, uh, 50 K 50 mile. And so I drove out that morning in a car of four, four chicks and we headed, you know, to the trailhead. And I think three, three of them had done Mount disappointment before. So it was nice, you know, in the morning, you know, I had them and then um, the people that I trained with were there, but yeah, I went into it with the thought that, you know, I just, I just needed a finish. That's really all that mattered. I didn't know any better than to go for anything else. You know, I, I really hadn't studied the course. In fact, that morning when we're standing there and we do the pre-race talk, they said something about bears. And I was like, what? what there's bears? There's bears? There's bears here? <laughs> so, and I was like, is this for real? Was like, I know we're in the mountains, but it just had never even been a thought in my mind. Did you say so, Mount, Mount Disappointment? Yes, Mount Disappointment was the name of the race. That and is, it's still that, going on today. Yeah. That, that's a good first 50K to start with. 
Um, well, but like I said, are you looking up the elevation profile and stuff? No, no, I'm not. No, no. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. And the year that I ran it, it was exceptionally hot. And there had just been a fire. It had um, the, the race hadn't happened for a couple of years, but they brought it back. And so the, the side of the mountain was still recovering from from the fire. And so there was a lot of really loose sections that if you you know lost your footing, I mean, you were going to go down. They actually airlifted two people out the day that I was there. It got so hot. People were, you know, yes. running out of water all over the place. But me being, you know, me and being overprepared, I had my, you know, my pack on my back plus two handhelds. So I was actually giving water to other people. Nice. That's but I finished. Fa- I finished. Oh, I mean, it's your first. You can't DNF yeah. your first 50K. Well, but I don't know if I would have even have known, like, how bad that was. Like, how oh, totally. That totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, my first... 50k was like even the rd is like still like oh you ran it that year like (laughs) right like that was really bad um but that's that's impressive so you just went for it and it's cool that you knew you probably knew a bunch of people into the race and you finished even though you know conditions were rough i like how you went like 50k 50k 50 miles and then like like most people, like even myself, and I progress pretty quickly. Um, you go right yeah, for you a 20, 24 hour race, and then you. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so that was kind of an accident thing because I had run two fifty k's, which were planned, um, and then that was in, I believe, it was either August or September. And then the following year, I ran Avalon fifty, which at the time was a Western States qualifier. So I finished my first 50 miler and I had a Western States qualifier, which was pretty nuts. Um, so and then old, I had you're no, so old school. So old I school. I know. It's so right, weird. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I really hadn't planned on running a 100 miler. But what happened was I was running my friend's, my friend was finishing his 100th marathon in Pasadena. And we were doing the celebration for him. And that day he said something to me about, yeah, did you hear about, um, so-and-so is going to run the nanny goat this weekend. And so this was on a Sunday and nanny goat was on Saturday. So like what, six days later. And I said, well, what's nanny goat? I don't even, what is it? And he goes, it's a hundred mile race. You do a one mile loop for a hundred miles. And I look at him, well, that's stupid. I go, I've heard about hundred mile races, but who would run in a circle for a hundred miles? Like that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Like hundred miles is already stupid, but a hundred miles of the same loop is ludicrous. Right. And And most people, yes. (laughs) Right. And so then that was that. And then later that night, I'm online, I'm uploading pictures from the race. (laughs) And I see my other friend, Shauna, post, hey, I'm running Nanny Goat on Saturday um, and raising money for Semper Fi Fund. And, um, you know, would you sponsor me? Or maybe it was Wounded Warriors. Either way, Wounded Warriors or Semper Fi Fund, would you sponsor me? And I'm like, God, that's the second mention of this weird Nanny Goat thing in like 12 hours or something, right? So I, so I look it up online and I see, I go to, I, I guess I'm on ultra sign up because I wasn't even really familiar with what it was or anything. I guess that's how I found it. And it said one spot available. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, I had just finished the, the Pasadena marathon and I'm sitting there, my body's aching from the marathon and I'm like, God, there's one spot available. Maybe I should do this. And so I hollered at my husband. I said, Hey, what do you think about me doing a hundred mile or on Saturday? It's in Riverside. It's like super close. And it was, I don't know, maybe it was like 150 bucks or something, I don't know. And he's like, let's do it. And I'm like, cool. So I register, and that's it. 
So I had six days to prepare. That was it. That's honestly, you know what I've, so I've, I've tried the hundred mile distance three, I don't know, three or four times. And I've concluded the best way to learn how to run a hundred miles is to just go run a hundred miles. Like totally. you're, you're never going to be like, okay, I've done all the training. I'm super prepared. Like I've had 120 <laughs> mile weeks for 12 weeks straight. Like, well, and you know, my mileage was just, high. Like I had plenty of, you know, I, I was running a lot of races. I mean, I was doing back to back marathons, you know, Saturday, Sunday. So I was doing, you know, I mean, I had high mileage. That's perfect um, training and, but, for a hundred miles. And when I honestly. looked, you know, yeah. And when I looked up Nanny Goat, it was like, okay, well it was a hundred miles, but it was, you could do 50 miles if you wanted. So I kind of, the pressure was off, right? 24 but, hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. But I, but I went into it with the idea that I'm running a hundred miles. And once I said I'm running a hundred miles, that was it. I committed to it. I made the statement. Then I reached out to people that I knew had finished hundred milers and I asked for advice. What's the best advice you can give me? What do I need to pack? What do I need to do? And um, so I show up that morning, like really not knowing a thing. I don't really know what I'm doing at all. All I know is that I'm just going to run in circles for a hundred for miles. <laughs> and I get there and I start running. And somewhere around mile 10, my friend Kareen says to me, she's like, you know, I'm just only concerned about the cutoff. And I said to her, I'm like, what do you mean the cutoff? And she goes, well, we have to be at mile 86 by 24 hours so that we get the additional four hours to finish this thing in 28 hours. And I looked at her and I'm like, what? wait, what? We, we have four extra hours. We don't have to finish this in 24 hours. And she goes, no, what you thought you had to finish this in 24 hours. I'm like, yeah, I thought I had to finish this in 24 hours. So all of a sudden I'm like doing a happy dance. I'm like jigging all over the place because I think I, I thought I, I only had 24 hours. Now I have four more hours than in bank on. Like that yeah. was great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so huge. anyhow, I went into the race with the with the race plan and idea that I was going to finish it in 24 hours. So that's what I did. I just went out there and I just boop, boop, boop. I stayed that's, steady and you know I rolled with the punches and I finished it in under 24 hours. That's that's why I <laughs> called you. I love it. Seriously, I think when I talked to your friend Jen, uh, Nanny yeah. Go Nanny Go came up. So I think she did well, it this year. Yeah, I mean Nanny Go's a great uh, first hundred miler for somebody that wants to just you know see what they can do. Or, you know, um, or, you know, just for, for anybody that just wants to see how far they can take it, really any of the loop courses. Time, yeah, time, um, timed yeah. events in general, like six yeah. hour, 12 hour. I mean, yeah. hell, they go up to six days if you really want to do oh, that. Gosh, that's don't, right. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't recommend but, beyond four days, but I haven't but been there yet. I mean, they're still not easy, you know, because you have a hundred opportunities to quit because you're going by your stuff. I think they're harder. You know, so, yeah, I mean. There's, it's just a different mind game. It's just such a different mind game. And with Nanny Goat, it's fairly flat. And so really you're using the same muscle groups the whole time. And, and that's really challenging. And, you know, I, I much prefer a more mountainous race myself just because I like to, to break up. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you hike up the uphills, you run down the downhills, you know, different scenery. You're making it from one aid station to the next. You kind of can't quit in between the two aid stations. You've got to at least root it out for the next one. Point that, to point that grown to me. To appreciate. Yeah, I don't like I don't like covering the same foot of trail during a race. Like if it's two loops or something like that, like a Bandera hundred k, you do two loops. Right. Like I don't want to cover this rock twice. Like I want to jump over this rock and never have to see it again. And never see it again. If I don't have to, peace, <laughs> like peace out, rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you 
progress, and I'm not going to lie, like, I've been toying with the idea of bad water myself, personally. Um, well, you know how I feel about that. I, I already told you. You should go for it. <laughs> I in I want to. It's hard. It's hard to get into. Um, yeah, it is. It's a multi-year you it, process. Then you, then you go for it. Yeah. Yeah, and part of this was at Moab. I was running with a guy who every year does bad water. So it's like, okay, I'm way out of my league. I need to probably slow down right now. Um, no, not not true. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that with bad water, you know, there's it's not just um, people that are going to finish it fast or the, the quote unquote elites. I mean. It's a field of individuals that have worked hard and proven themselves and that are willing to put themselves in a position of a certain amount of pain and suffering and agony for the sake of, you know, doing something really difficult to prove to themselves that they can. And so you don't, you, you're not out of your league unless you tell yourself you're out of your league. You, you really aren't. I mean, any, anybody that believes they can do it has the same opportunity that I did. You just have to work hard to get there. And the whole multi-year process. I mean, well, what's it going to take to get into Western States? I mean, I know people that have been in that lottery for years and years, and they have to requalify every year. So if you're telling me that's not a multi-year process, then I don't know what is. You know, I mean, it, it's all at this point in ultra running, we're almost at the point where any big iconic race or something that's going to really challenge us, we're going to have to be committed enough to withstand the year after year agony of trying to get in. I mean, that's just where it's at. Yeah. I, I think it's you know? health, it's healthy. Um, having started running just over three years ago, like like our bodies adapt, but they take they take a time frame that like is not natural in terms of like our time frame and reference and normal thinking process. So like your body will adapt, but it might take two years of slow adaptation until you can get to where you're really trying to get and ironically enough sometimes it takes two three four or five years to get into that hard rock or right and then by then you know you paid your dues and maybe you're more ready to finish because you didn't just get in the first year you tried you know yeah i totally agree and you know do all these other things to, to get prepared so how many times have you attempted bad water i have um completed bad water three times so I've, I've started and finished it three times. So you finished every time. How yes, did you I've f- only had I've only had three DNFs in my running career. I I mean, and how many races have you finished? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think I've finished at this point. If you count hundred mile distance and above, I think I've finished twenty six hundred mile or above distances. Wow. And then I think That's I'm crazy. I think I'm over a hundred marathons at this point. And then, um, you know, 50K, 50 milers and 100K, stuff like that. I, I don't know. I mean, a lot. A, a lot. lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How did you hear about Badwater? I want to talk about it just for a few minutes because <laughs> so we could have a whole my, episode just on a right? single Badwater experience. Yeah. I um, I was running marathons and I did Manny Goat and I became friends with different people because of the Marathon Maniac. And, um, you know, Ed Eddinghausen, the doctor, is one of those, um, you know, people that I met along the way. And um, I, d- I ran a lot of races with him. He and I did a lot of races produced by Charlie Aylwine, who's a local race director here that puts on low-key races, don't cost a lot of money, that basically cater to the addict side of us runners that want to do multiples every weekend, but don't nice. necessarily want to travel far, spend a lot of money. 
And so he did something called a seven series, you know, seven marathons in seven days in a row. And so right after completing Nanny Goat, I did, um, I did a seven series. I did the summer seven. And so, um, I spent a lot of time with Ed, you know, and he was talking about bad water, but I'd also, I'd also heard about it because in my dealings with these other ultra runners talking about some of the hardest races. And, and once you kind of get your mind set on something or you hear about things, then you're like, well, what is the hardest? And so when, when I was Googling and looking things up, bad water kept coming up. It's like the hardest, the toughest, you know? And so I ran my first nanny goat and then I took a, I didn't run another hundred miler for another year. And then I ran my second nanny goat the next year. And after I ran my second nanny goat, that's when I decided, you know what? I want to do bad water. I want to, I want to do the hardest race possible. And I decided that bad water was the hardest race I could come up with that, uh, that was close, right. That I, that, yeah. and, and I was still at that point kind of a roadie. I hadn't really gotten in trail running because even nanny goat, is like a flat course on a horse ranch. So it's not even, it's not like trail running. So bad water, I could like wrap my head around the roadie and me could still get into it. Right. So I looked it up online and I read everything on the webpage, everything I could possibly look at. I read about it. I wanted to see what I needed to do to get it. So in 2013, I went out there um, and I crewed and paced for an Italian, Paolo Gucci, who he came in from Italy. He was running his third bad water. And um, I was his, every crew has to have a, an English-speaking person, so I was his English-speaking crew member. And, um, and he finished, and I learned so much that year. It was incredible. And the next year, 2014, I submitted my, um, my application. I did everything I could. I, I went out and I, you know, did the crewing and pacing, and I started running as many 100-milers as I could to pump up my resume because I knew I needed at minimum three to be able to submit. So I just started registering all for all these races. I put myself in the hat for AC 100, and I, and I actually ran and DNF that one. Then two weeks later, I went to Leadville, ran and DNF Leadville. Um, then I ended up finishing um, a race called EC 100, which was a point-to-point road race. Um, and then I went and did Chimera 100, which is a, a very difficult mountainous 100 here. And so I had my, my races. I had at minimum three that I could submit. I think I had four when I submitted, plus, you know, multiple hundreds and multiple, or multiple marathons. and Plus, I crewed and paced by a letter of recommendation. And I, I got in. Like, I didn't think I would get in on my first try. You, you I actually, I mean, if you look at your ultra sign-up, to not yeah. have run any kind of uh, Keys 100 or, you know, the other Badwater races, like, normally, yeah. it's very rare to see you just pop up as a finisher. Well, but, and at that time, though, Cape Fear didn't exist, and Salton Sea had only, I think it was only one year old, or maybe it hadn't even happened yeah. yet. Uh, maybe it was only one year old, so it wasn't, it wasn't like that. I mean, really, the way to get in was to, you know, have, and I don't think as many people knew about it, you know? I mean, people knew about it, but I think it wasn't as popular as, as it is now. Yeah. So that, that definitely helped me. Um, also I ran it the first time on the year that it was the altered course. So it was the one year that they, they didn't get the permit for access into Death Valley National Park. <sighs> so it was a slightly different course, which was a, a great course. Some will tell you that it was harder. Um, but you know, I've done both courses and, um, you know, I still say that the original is. Let's hear the, the, just the horrible details of Badwater. I mean, oh my gosh! Well, I mean, can you some? Can you some? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a race recap here. Like, 
here I want to hear like the three or four minute version. Just pick whichever of the three finishes or a combination. Okay. Like just summarize to the listener what it entails. Like what is Badwater One Thirty Five? So Badwater One Thirty Five is one hundred thirty five miles through Death Valley in the in the heat of the summer. It's in July, so it's in the hottest month of the year. Um, it has a nighttime start right now, which means that even at, even in the evening, starting at night, it's still, you know, 90 degrees or a hundred degrees at the start line. You run through the first night, you're totally sleep deprived by the time the heat of day one hits you. And, but now you have 50 miles on your legs and it pumps up to like 120 and it's like one, you know, 160 coming off of the asphalt. It's all asphalt. It's a net uphill. You climb over three major climbs on your way to the Mount Whitney portal. But it's just, it's ridiculous because it's so stupid hot. Um, it's so desolate. There's just nothing there. It's beautiful and it's peaceful and it's serene and it's, there's so much amazing stuff to it. But it just, it's so mentally challenging in so many ways. It, it's just, oh my gosh. You How- look out and there's just one long road. How so? Forever. How did how did you do this? How did you manage to just get through your first one, let alone you know two additional ones? Um, you know, I had amazing crew. Uh, all all three years, I had crew that was just super attentive to my needs and you know making sure to keep me cool. And when I wasn't feeling like eating, you know, keeping me eating, keeping me hydrated, um, you know, harassing me about things and. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of things go wrong. I mean, I, I had um, the last year I did it, year three, I ended up getting very sick. I started basically projectile vomiting at the, at the from the start. At about mile 12, I think I started throwing up, and I threw up for almost the entire race. It wasn't until the last maybe, I don't know, 50 miles of the race that I wasn't throwing up anymore. That's, but, you know, and that's not it, ideal it was, when you're wearing all white. Yeah, uh, it was just, no. well, I mean, it, <laughs> it was bad. It was just bad. There's just so oh. many things, muscle cramping, stomach issues, you know, headaches, oh, um, you know, there's just, you know, people have issues with, you know, urinary tract infections, and I did, and, and you know, having to go to the bathroom, and just all kinds, it's just, it was, it's hard. It really takes a toll on your organs. It just does. You're pushing yourself to these limits so, in conditions that are not meant to be, you know, you're not meant to be in those in conditions. Ha- all the yeah, time. humans aren't supposed to be there, honestly. No, no. Um, and so, did you have any kind of like Dean Carnassus, like gold panners come up to you? Like the hallucinations at Badwater have to be the worst. Am I? Yeah, I mean, correct there, or, or I've, have I've you had worse? I've had, I've had worse hallucinations at other races, but. Um, you know, I've had some very spiritual experiences where things were brought to my attention and, you know, um, you know, I've had times where God was very clear with me on certain things I'm supposed to be doing in my life or not supposed to be doing with my life and how to get things back on track. And, you know, this last race in particular, I had had such a hard time in the beginning with just being sick. And then the second part of the race, I was having issues with the urinary tract infection. And then the last part of the race, my calf started having all kinds of issues to the point where I I couldn't put any pressure on my left foot and I was limping horribly. And it was like, I was looking at my pacing and I thought, guy, I have one more major climb, 13 miles to get to the finish. And my pace was so slow. I thought it could take me seven hours to do this, like 13 miles. And I was just getting so discouraged and, 
And all of a sudden, I just started chanting as I was going up the final climb. I started saying, um, uh, what was I saying? Mind over matter. There is no pain. Mind over matter. And it became my mantra. And so at first I was just saying it in my mind. There is no pain. Mind over matter. Next thing you know, I'm saying it out loud. Next thing you know, I'm like basically shouting it. And my, <laughs> my limp turned into a walk, turned into like a speed walk, turned into a slow jog, turned into a run. So now I'm basically running up the hill. And then, you know, then I was speed walking and basically I'm like shouting this stuff Screaming, out. And yeah. now my, yeah, my crew is hearing me say this stuff and they're getting sick of hearing me say it. So now they're feeding me other things like, <laughs> I am amazing. And I will climb this mountain. And, you know, they're, so I was just screaming and yelling all these like positive affirmations up at the, up at the mountain, like up in Mount Whitney. And I went like total full blown cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. There, there is video footage of it out there somewhere. And everyone that got in my sight line, I was passing. I just passed. Oh, it, I mean, it helps whether whether it's internal or external. Um, <laughs> I need to look yeah. up that video. Maybe that's how we start this episode. Is I'll pull like oh the God. audio. I'll pull the audio clip. Um, <laughs> that, so yeah, that's by the time awesome. I got up the hill, people knew they had heard me. I was screaming and shouting at everybody. But you know what? It's what had to happen, and it's how I ended up finishing that race. And I don't regret it. I, um, puking at mile at now, twelve. But... I mean, it's yeah, it's truly phenomenal uh, to be like. I thought I had a bad Moab two forty start. Like, no, no. <laughs> uh, you just never know. I mean, but that's what that's what brings us back to these distances. Is that with the the distance, there are so many things that can happen that you're tested in so many different ways. I mean, you can pre- prepare as, as much as you want, but inevitably something's going to come up that you haven't prepared for and you're forced to figure it out. And I think that's what I really love about ultra racing is you're, you're shown how strong you are in those greatest moments of weakness. And um, there's something very beautiful and, and, and true about that. You know, it rips you down to the shred and the core of who you are. I mean, it, it takes you down to almost this nothingness and, and you're forced to have to build yourself back up. And where else do you have that kind of platform where you can truly, you know, do that in a way that's not affecting everything else that's going on in your life. You know, you have this isolated segment of time and place that's almost stands still, where time almost stands still for a minute, and it's just you against you. And, and I you, love that. Do you look forward to that moment where you're, like, truly tested? I mean, you know... I've had one race where it was rainbows and butterflies the whole time, and it was glorious. And I would definitely take another 100-miler like that in a heartbeat. But the races where I, where I walk away with the most appreciation, where I've learned the most lessons, where I feel the most accomplished, are the ones where I've had to overcome something brutal. And so I do, I do in some way. It's like I, I welcome that darkness. Um, it, it's kind of sick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I like the challenge because it's like, it's never the same variables ever. And so it's like, here you go, Rob, like you have five minutes to solve this problem or else like there could be a serious consequence and it's not life threatening, hopefully most of the time, but well, hopefully um, not, right? Yeah. I mean, it could take you out of the race. I mean, at a bad water, it could potentially become life threatening. Um, but thinking on the fly and I don't know, problem solving, I, I love that aspect of, of these races. 
Um, so moving on, like you decide to go for um, you know the grand slam of ultra running because you seem to be just you know not really too motivated to do much here. Right. Um, <laughs> like where did yeah. that? Just briefly, where did that come up? And I mean, your experience at Leadville, like you DNF the yeah. you know, the previous try, and now all of a sudden. It's like, part of the slam. I the know. Stake, the stakes are much higher because you're two or three races deep. Right. Well, so with with the Grand Slam of Ultra Running, um, you know, I put myself in the hat for Western States. When that very first time I, I got the ticket doing my 50 miler, I put myself in the hat for Western States. I didn't get pulled. And then I lapsed one year. Um, then I ended up with a qualifier. I put myself in the lottery, didn't get pulled. My second year, actually my third year in the lottery, but my second consecutive year, so I had two tickets. I got pulled. Like, how lucky am I, right? I got pulled yeah. for Western States. And at this point, you know, I'm definitely doing a lot more ultras and meeting a lot more people. And um, my friend Joshua Holmes had done the Grand Slam the year before. And so I had tracked and watched him. And so it was always this kind of thing, well, if I get picked for Western States, then, I mean, clearly I would have to consider doing the Grand Slam because when else are you you know, when else am I going to get pulled to Western States? I mean, it could be a, a number of years before I ever get pulled again, right? I so, couldn't agree more, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So once I got pulled, you know, I sat down with, with the hubby and was kind of like, well, so I got pulled to Western States and I'm considering doing this um, because, you know, when will I have the chance to do it again? And, and he was in support of me doing the Grand Slam. So, you know, once I got into Western States, then I had to enter, you know, other lotteries and put myself yeah. in, in the pot to get pulled for the, for the other one. And some of the races allow you to be on the provisional list. For instance, Wasatch, which is the grand finale of the, the Grand Slam. Um, if you don't get picked for the, the lottery then you and you're doing the Grand Slam, they put you on the side list that basically says, if you finish all the prior races leading up to Wasatch, then we will grant you automatic entry into Wasatch. So you don't essentially pay yet until you prove yourself that the finish of the prior three races. And you, can't, so, you can't get the Grand Slam without it. Right, you can't you can't get to the Grand Slam without it. So, yeah. um, but what happened was, is I got pulled for the Grand Slam, or you know, for Western States. I decided to do the Grand Slam, and my friend Brian Recor also um, got pulled for Western States. So he and I decided to do the Slam together the same year, which is super exciting because like we can share some expenses, so we yeah, can travel, totally. and yeah. we thought, what if we? And he and I have paced each other and crewed each other at multiple races. So we thought, what if we ran the Grand Slam together and we shared a crew? Like, what if we actually did this together? Smart, yeah. And we shared crew, and mm -hmm. we, you know, shared rooms everywhere, and, like, it would save so much money. So, ironically enough, we both also got into Hurt 100. <laughs> the Jan so, I was doing the Grand Slam in 2016. So, January 2016, I got pulled for Hurt 100, and so did he. So, here, the year I'm going to do the Grand Slam, I'm also going to run Hurt 100 in January. So, he and I decide we're going to kind of guinea pig this spot, and we're going to test run it, and we're going to run... 100 together, 100 miles, the whole thing together. And so what happened was we ran, it's a five, it's five loops, hurt 100. Loop one, we did great. We paced very well together. Loop two, I was slightly slower, but we still were only about like 10 minutes slower than loop one, so still doing really well. Loop three, he rolled his ankle, and our loop three was like ridiculously slow. But we stuck together because that's what we agreed to do. So even though I could have run further, like faster and moved ahead, I stayed, stuck to my word and stayed with him. So near the end of loop three, he was getting really frustrated. He was moving very slow, and he's like, why are you still with me? And I said, well, because that's the promise that we made, like we made a pack, and 
this is what we're doing. And he's like, you're not going to finish this race if you don't go because there's no way I'm going to get going much faster. And at this pace, we're not, neither one of us are going to finish. So once he said, fine, go, I took off, but now I'm running against the clock. So hurt 100, I actually DNF that race at mile 93. I missed the cutoff by like 60 seconds. I actually heard them blow the conch shell to end the race. And it was devastating. It was devastating to me. So here I am, January, the year I'm supposed to do the Grand Slam of Ultra. Um, and I have until June to prep for the Grand Slam. And I came home from Hurt 100, and I was like, I was wrecked. Mentally, uh, physically, I was just in a really bad spot. And um, my hair was really long, and I cut all my hair off, like boy cut short. And I just started training really hard. And I got in this, like, fighter mentality where all of a sudden it was like, almost this do or die mentality. I just, um, I had to get my head on straight to be able to finish the grand slam. And that DNF at hurt almost made it better because I yeah. took the grand slam that much more serious. You There's know, nothing like a good DNF to really, yeah. Focus your training. Well, yeah. And, seriously. and I hadn't DNF since 2013 because in 2013 I ran AC 100 and Leadville back to back two weeks apart and DNF, DNF, DNF in 2013. And I hadn't had any other DNF until that one in 2016. Interesting. So, yeah. And so here I go. And then I end up with an ankle injury that I'm rehabbing at the same time I'm trying to prep for the Grand Slam. So I actually showed up at Western States not completely 100%, just like praying to my left ankle, like, please, just, you know, come on, lefty. Yeah. You can, you can, you can make it through. <laughs> was it like Achilles, like tendonitis or like what, what um, was going on no, there? What, I, I rolled my ankle. I was on a training run at Yikes. Mount Wilson and um, I rolled my ankle pretty good. And then I didn't back off the training. I just kept running on it, running on it. And I kept rolling it over and over and over. And so finally I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I need to back off the training and rehab this, this ankle in order to prep for the, for the slam. But it was hard because you, you, you cut, you're compromising the mileage and the climbing for the rehab and you're, you know, questioning everything. But ultimately at the end of the day, finishing a hundred mile race is so much more mental. I mean, and I'm not talking about winning it. I'm not talking about being first place. I'm talking about just finishing, right? Crushing, you know, it, crushing middle you know, of the pack. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I, all I needed to do was stay ahead of cutoff and stay healthy enough to be able to finish. And if I could do that and keep myself healthy enough three weeks later, to get to the next race then i knew i had a little bit of time before the next race so you know it's like so can you summarize each of the four races that year like in yeah, one or, so in like one I, or two sentences like yeah i'm interested um, so like we western could again have a whole we could have right? a podcast on this whole topic yeah western states 100 oldest hunter miler um, very iconic, lives up to every everything you hear about it, the, the, the support, the climbs, the descents, the beauty, the energy. It's, it's everything you want in a 100-mile race and more. Love it. Um, moving on to um, Vermont 100. Uh, Vermont is gorgeous. It's not as hilly, but still a good amount of climbing. There's a horse race that goes along at the same time, which is super, super great. A lot of bugs, very humid. Um, but beautiful countryside and just a gorgeous race. And that's actually the race I had, um, my rainbows and butterflies race. Like it was perfect from start to finish. It was just, I I never hit the wall. It was amazing. I mean, thunder and lightning storms and I'm still running through my pacer. Um, my one and only pacer, Crystal Fever, who's a beautiful human being and and just a gorgeous spirit. She and I were like two 
high school teenagers just laughing and giggling the whole time she was skating. It was awesome. Then moving on to Leadville 100 and um, knowing that I had DNF there and just knowing how the elevation and going up to, you know, um, over 12,000, 12,500, really, I got sick the year, the prior time I had done it. Um, it happened to me again. Um, but I just, I fought a lot harder. I played it real smart. Um, I didn't push myself too hard in any one area, but kept myself ahead of those cutoffs. I actually finished with 15 minutes to spare. So hmm. I did not have a whole lot of extra time, but I finished it. Um, very hard race for me. Very challenging. Part, part, in part two, because I had DNF'd it before. So I had, I had to, you know, prove myself there. And then um, moving on, the grand finale Wasatch, which of the four, I'd have to say, is I think the most beautiful of the four races. Really challenging climbs in the sense, amazing single track. Um, you don't have the altitude like you did at Leadville, but definitely some challenging climbs. I mean, you're climbing and climbing, and just when you think you're not going to climb anymore, it's like, no, you're going to climb some more. <laughs> um, and it's, it's amazing. The, the aid stations are wonderful, and it's just a beautiful race. And the camaraderie and the way they host their finish line is great. There's a barbecue and everybody hangs out there and everybody's there for the finish and you can shower right there and it's just, everybody kind of camps out and chills there. It was awesome. So uh, that was the Grand Summer Ultra. <laughs> I mean, how did it feel going through the finish line having oh, it was, DNF, it was you know, hurt and yeah, I mean, overcome the injury was... Yeah, it was. it was one of those things where you had, you know, you spent the summer still, you know, still working and, and still living your life and still being a mom and still, you know, trying to keep the household, you know, going and, but still trying to accomplish this thing and you finish it. And there was this huge sense of relief and accomplishment. But at the same time, there was this deep sadness because, you know, look, I had started thinking about it in December when the Western States lottery happened. That's when it first became real. And so here it was, you know, the end of the summer and it was over and it was like, it was just so, it was, it was just really sad. It was, you know, bittersweet, You're but I felt very accomplished at that point. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I am really an ultra runner. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe I am, you know, after, after you, <laughs> it took, it took finishing the Grand Slam ultra running to finally, I, well, I'm, was, I honestly, I relate like in a weird sense, yeah. Um, I I have to talk to you about two more races, maybe three, because you've done so many like pretty you know big iconic races, and I've never talked to someone about Vol State like five hundred k. What is that? Three hundred ten miles or something? Three hundred fourteen like miles. Yeah. Like what? What is this race? Like it's a five hundred k and. I mean, at the end. So it's another at, it's at another the brainchild end. of Laz. Okay. <laughs> so anybody that follows you know the Barkley Marathon or you know Backyard Ultra and, and knows Laz knows that he comes up with these concepts, these race concepts. I mean, any of the hundred milers are going to challenge you, but his are always a little bit twisted. You know, there's always just something a little bit different about his that make you dig a little bit deeper. They kind of pull you into this this spot where you know you you just like I talk about that dark place, but it definitely is a very interesting race concept. So it's a 500 K 314 miles. You go through uh, five different states, um, but you spend most of your time in Tennessee. And once again, it's in July. So it's the hottest time of the year. It's very humid there. And um, 
you can either do it crude or screwed. So crude is you have a crew that follows you. Um, but even when you have a crew, you're not allowed to travel ever in the vehicle. You can, um, you know, they can follow you and you could sit in it if you want, but it can never be moving while you are in it. Um, so if I want to stop at any kind of hotel or stop anywhere to get any kind of aid, I have to walk or run to it. Now, the screw division is exactly like it sounds. You have no help. Now, the only help that you have are from trail angels, people that live out there that leave coolers that say welcome Ball State Runners or people that put out chairs on their front property, Ball State Runners to be relaxed, or maybe a church that leaves a big note, you know, air conditioning and ice inside, welcome Ball State Runners. And so, you know, you, you um, rely on what you find in vending machines or stores that are open or the kindness of others. And you still do that, too, in, in the in the crude category, but not, not as reliant on it as you would in the screwed category. And I, you have I, 10 days I, to do it. I'm so excited hearing about this. Keep going. Right? Yeah, this so is crazy. You have, you have 10 days to do it. So from start to finish, if you do a 50K a day, you know, 31 uh, miles a day, you could finish it in the 10-day window. So, you know, looking online and, and knowing people that have done the race and talking to people about different race strategies and such, I came up with a plan that I wanted to finish it in five days. So that meant I had to maintain, you know, essentially an average of 62 miles a day to finish in that five-day window, and I booked my travel home accordingly. And <laughs> even even still, knowing that I booked my travel home, I would be home two days, and then I was going to leave again to go to Badwater to go crew and face my friend Doc at Badwater. So I didn't give myself, like, as I left for Badwater, people were still out running ball state. So I didn't give myself much time. I was like, I have to finish in five days. I booked my travel on the sixth day. I only gave myself a 24-hour buffer. So I, I started I, to- I totally relate to this. This is great. <laughs> right? Yeah, like so days I, off I, of work, too. Like, gets, that, a, little, well, gets I mean, a little stressful. Yes. <laughs> I've only you know, taken I, I, Monday and Tuesday off of work. Like... <laughs> That's it. You only have, you know, limited resources. I only have so many vacation days. I only have an employer that's so understanding. I work for Roadrunner Sports, so they are a running store, and they understand the whole runner dynamic. But at the end of the day, I still have a job to do. You know, not only totally. that, like, I have a daughter at home that's, you know, in middle school. Well, she was going into middle school. She was uh, having her summer off before middle school. So, you know, my husband can't. He needs help here with her. You know, he, he needs me to be here and help drive her around and take care of her over the summer and, you know, do the mom thing. So, yeah, it's stressful. You're still, you have these goals, but you still have to maintain life. But, um, you know, I went into it with this idea of five days is what it is. And I just, I, I, I went into it with the idea that I have to take care of myself first. Whatever happens with the race, as long as I take care of myself first, the race will follow. So I'm number one priority, not the race. And so I went into it with that idea, and I took care of myself, and I ended up running very well. I ended up finishing in four days, and I don't know how many hours or whatever. I ended up third, yeah, like third place overall. Like 110, <laughs> 110 hours, uh, 40 minutes, and 59 seconds. For, are oh, you looking at all just kind of Yeah. Episodes? You took yeah. second female. That's fascinating. Yep. So two females on the podium. So, yeah, there was um, – uh, third place overall, second place female. Grant Mon took first place. Um, he and I met when we were training for Badwater in 2014 and spent some time training together. And he's just such an awesome guy. And he, he always called me his little sis. 
And um, he's somebody I'll go to when, you know, when I have advice or need advice for things. And he's just such a kindred spirit. So it was fun to chase him knowing that, you know, I, I wouldn't, he was much further ahead of myself and, and Rhoda. But um, there was, there were three of us females. Grant was way ahead. And then there were three of us females kind of duking it out for what would have been second, third, and fourth place of the race. And we kept kind of, you know, passing each other in the night or during the day. We all had very different race strategies. Um, but it, you know, but at the very last day, uh, Rhoda ended up passing me and I couldn't have been more pleased because she and I had become friends on the course. In fact, when I was ahead of her, there were times I would send her a message on Facebook saying, you know, Hey, there were heavy dogs in this section of the course really watched. They're not behind any gates. I mean, I was, um, literally like attacked. I mean, not bitten, but if a car had not come up the truck, I would have been attacked by these two dogs out on the course. Um, and so, you know, you kind of build these bonds with people as you're, as you're involved in the race, but there's still this competition that's going on too. But when she passed me, you know, she, she was so strong and I just didn't have what it, what it would take to try to fight her, to try to, you know, stay ahead of her. And she said to me, she goes, I had this vision of us coming up to the rock together and stepping up on the rock at the same time. And I said, you're just so strong. I can't, I can't keep up with you. Um, and, you know, they won't let us step on the rock at the same time. You'll, you'll have to just go out there and represent second place. And, but she waited for me. She, she tracked me and, and watched where I was, and she waited until I finished so we could spend time up there at the rock and by the fire and, you know, tell stories and sit and have a beer together at the finish. It was very special. It was a, it was a really awesome moment. So I assume uh, the top three were all crewed, or were they all screwed? Or Yeah, top three were all crewed. And, and then... Okay. Um, Top three were crewed, and then I think fourth and fifth that came in were screwed runners. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. impressive. So, I mean, looking back, do you ever want to – I'm selfishly asking this because I'm doing OBX 200, which, honestly, they have a screwed and crewed category. I don't even know who technically puts on this race. Um Right. But I got several messages when I announced it that it sounded just like Ball State. And I, yeah. I'd like to do Ball State at some point. It sounds awesome. Um, it is awesome. I mean, the, the, moment, the moment I knew I was coming into the finish, I had this realization. I mean, day after day, you're, you're you know, going back out there, going back out there. And, you know, because you've done a 200, it's like you're just, you keep going back out there. It's like a series of, of smaller races within the race. And I was coming down that final field, and it, it hit me like, oh, my gosh, this journey is over now, and I'm almost done. And for a split second, I thought about turning and running back the other direction, <laughs> going opposite on the course, because I just I didn't want it to end. And, um, and when I finished, once again, there was this, you know, this accomplishment, this sense of accomplishment, but also this great sadness, because what I had known as my reality and my existence for so many days now was no longer what it was. And in ways, yeah. real life is harder than an ultra because with real life, you don't know how long certain trials or certain pains or certain things that are going wrong will last. But with an ultra, you know, when I get to the rock, the pain and the agony ends. I, you have a very set, defined finish line. And there's something comforting about that, you know? And so, but, but certainly if I can suffer hard enough through those kinds of trials, then I can suffer and live through anything that life throws at. It's just hard because you don't know when life's tragedy will lift. You know, you, you're just left with this ambiguous, like, time frame of who knows when, right? 
So that, that, was, but, that was beautiful. Yeah. I <laughs> no seriously. I I do have like the post race blues occasionally, but oh I mean gosh. my big thing is, you know, always having that goal out in front of me to look forward yeah. because without right. any kind of uh, ultra running goal in front of me or any kind of endurance related goal. I I might actually just be lost in general, as weird as right. that is. But um, no, I completely understand that, which is why right now I'm kind of going a little crazy because I don't have any major races on my calendar right now. I mean, I've talked to my husband already about what 2019 could possibly look like and what I'd like to submit for in terms of lotteries and what I'd like to race. And of course, you know, I don't know until the lotteries happen what will actually come about of those things. Yeah. But I don't have anything. I mean, I have a 50-miler on calendar, Avalon 50 in January, but I don't have any major things in like on schedule right now. And it and I've been able to continue and go out and run, but it's harder for me to stay focused without that like carrot. You know, I need something. Totally. I need that pie in the sky. I need that thing that I can like sink my teeth into and go, "Okay, I'm doing it for this." Yeah, it it changes your life. I I wrote about it in my book a little bit actually. Like like having that goal out in front of you, you call it a carrot. I mean, it, it changes my life. Every decision yeah. I make, it, like, what am I putting in my mouth right now? Like, is that going to affect right. my hundred mile race in totally. six yes. months? Like clearly there's no like direct correlation, but it actually accumulates and, and it makes me a better person and a better dad yep. and better well, husband. Say, right, right now, my goal is before I before I step foot on any major start line, like I want to declutter. I've gotten on this thing where certain things in my house, especially over the past couple years of racing, have fallen off. Like when you devote so much time to training, yeah. something is something's gonna give. You 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 can't do everything, and there are only so many hours in the day. And so at some point, you don't pay as close attention to you know the clutter that that that's building up, or the bags that are on the side of my bed, or you know, in the garage where I store my things for my running club, you know, things, things are getting out of order. And because of that chaos, it's causing chaos in my everyday life. And so now before my next like big ultra, I'm like, I'm on this like cleanup ultra where I just want to like remove clutter. Nice. And so I feel like 2019 going into my next grouping of racing will be even like a cleaner grouping of racing because I will have like taken home base and made it like good again. You know what I mean? Like, I have to get other yeah. things in order. No, I mean, that way you can focus on your training and being a good mom yep. and, and wife and everything. Um, right. I, we could spend a whole episode on UTMB. I, I can't believe you had done Vol State just mid-July when I talked to you and when we were dealing well, with a yeah. major jet engine issue together. Yes. Uh, well, so I went Vol State six weeks later. I started UTMB, and then after finishing UTMB, two weeks later, I went out and did the Barclays Ball Classic. I did a double so, take when I saw that. Like, <laughs> I saw you you update on, that on social media. I was like, wait, is she is she volunteering? You just did UTMB? <laughs> no, I, that was amazing. I did it. Yeah. So this summer was like crazy, but truly, you know, Vol State was every race was incredible. But, like, at the end of the summer, I kind of looked back, and I was like, I did this. Oh, my gosh. Like, I did this. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's because at the beginning of the summer, I mean, I had people tell me, "You're crazy. There's no way you can do it. Your body will not hold up. You won't be able to do it." And part of me thought, "Well, I don't know if I can or not, but I can only take one race at a time, and I can only focus on one race at a time. So how about I focus on ball skate right now? And when I finish that, then I'll work on recovery and I'll work on getting ready for UTMB. And then once I come back from that, then I'll have to think about fall classic." I really couldn't think any further ahead than the one race I had coming up. I I was at the finish line for UTMB for maybe one or two people, and you oh, were, you were there for mine. You got great footage. <laughs> yeah, you were you were one of them, and and then I for for whatever reason thought like yeah, let's invite if she's not already. You probably already knew about the after party, but. I was like, yeah, she hasn't run for like forty-five hours straight. Like, <laughs> she definitely wants to come out and have a beer oh, with the I whole group to come of people. So bad, <laughs> but I opted to just, you know, relax, put my feet up, I, and just, you know, kind of soak it all in. I think that was wise. Um, we'll have you on the show again. I want to shift gears really quick, just so that you know the listener can get background as to like some of some of the most important questions that I'll ask you tonight. Um, let's start off with like quicker responses here. Toe socks, no toe socks. No toe socks. So you think I'm weird for saying that? I get it. I get it. No, it no. Hurts. If, you, if you do, I actually <laughs> wore toe socks for a while. Um, back in 2013, I was doing toe socks, and I actually blistered more in toe socks than without them. So uh, I just, I don't use them anymore. Got to throw the squirrel's nut butter on the toes. Sport, Roadrunner sports, okay. moisture wicking socks. That's what I use. What which shoes do you wear? Hocus. What, what's what's your favorite? You like and the everything. Eight? Oh, okay. So like across um, the board. Actually, for trail shoe right now, I'm going um, between the um, the Speed Goat, which I love, and then um, oh my gosh, what's the one I just wore at UTMB? Probably like the I'm ATR totally or Torrance. No, or... no. The I the Challenger ATR I wore during the Grand Slam, but I don't love the new the new version of it, so I switched to the Speed Goat. And then they also have this other new one that I'm blanking on the name right now. Okay. Their other, it, it has slightly less cushion, so you can actually feel the ground a little bit more, but it's still super grippy and like, I mean, I feel like I can just climb up the side of big rocks and everything and not flip at all because they're just like so. I have this weird thing grippy. where like downhills, I love Hoka's downhill. Like the ATR three oh, for me, me was like the shoe, and then yeah. uphills, I like the zero. I like uh, like an ultra zero drop going up hills or like a flatter like you know not the multi-stack going up i wish there was like some kind of way to i mean i guess you could just carry around two pairs you could (laughs) um do you wear any compression gear i do when i wear compression um i typically wear zenza and in terms of packs do you Um, have like a go-to I've been running in Nathan for um, a couple years. I, I kind of go in between Nathan and Orange Mud. I wore an orange, orange Mud pack during UCMB. It was awesome. It had plenty of space to carry all my gear. Um, but it depends. Like, I really like the versatility of the bottles on some of the Orange Mud packs. But my Nathan one fits my body a little bit better and doesn't, uh, doesn't bounce as much. So, you know, I, I think it depends on the distance and, and the terrain, which one I use. Yeah, that makes sense. And then in terms of, do you have a GPS watch that you like to go to? Are you big on, (laughs) do you like your Strava runs or no? uh, So I have been told I'm an embarrassment to the company because I work for Roadrunner Sports and I 
have a very old Garmin, like Beast Monster 205. And then I have one that I won when I ran a race in China. And uh, I'm just so cheap. I just don't want to spend the money on a new Garmin. So I've, I've had Garmin for years and I love Garmin. And if you ever need to call customer service, they're wonderful and great. And they will, you know, fix and repair and at very low cost to get things back to you. And yeah. um, so I, I really that. do love Garmin. Yeah. But, they don't. Um, they don't respond to I'm me. I'm not a techie person, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's all good. Um, a- any other like go-to gear that is a must for you, and then also nutrition during races. So I switched over to Spring Energy this summer. Um, I absolutely love Spring Energy gels because they are so easy to eat. The consistency, the flavors, they're just amazing. I love them. Um, and then also I've used Martin for my electrolyte drink. Um, I have a problem with stomach issues and I had, uh, an electrolyte sponsor for years that went out of business and I haven't been able to find another one since Martin. And then I also use CarboPro. So, um, CarboPro has been wonderful. I use their, you know, their Metasalt and, uh, you know, their CarboPro powders in my water and it's been wonderful. Love, love that stuff. But I try to eat real food as much as possible. Like when I go in and out of aid stations, I'm trying to eat like actual food. And so okay. I, I only supplement with the with the gels, you know, out on the floor when, when I eat it. But there was a time when I was running UTMB that literally like the only thing I could take down was um, the spring energy. And so I was so thankful for them because it was, it was the only thing I could, I just wasn't feeling good. I was so nauseous for so long. Did you have any of the soup at UTMB? Yes, I ate the soup. But, I mean, how many aid stations can eat the same soup? They didn't have a variety of soup. It was the same oh, soup. Okay. It was the add-ins. <laughs> I, I don't know. For me, I, I mean, I only had to do three quick countries, and I was done at CCC, so I didn't get the full soup experience, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> Too much of the same soup. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. I was happy to have hot soup, but, you know. <laughs> Your your finish at UTMB it was hard not to like almost tear up seeing you finish oh. like talk about an amazing God, just gut wrenching like I could just feel the emotion just watching you finish that race it was awesome yeah demons were hitting me hard at that race and um, I ended up with I don't know what was going on with my lungs but I had some kind of fluid and on my lungs and it was like I was coughing up green phlegm I know that's gross but it was and I was wheezing so loud I thought that there was some kind of bird or something I was like what is that and I, and I realized it was me oh, and so the the uphill climbs were tre- treacherous they were so hard on me because I was breathing so heavy and I just simply could not get enough oxygen and so yes. it was so taxing on my body the downhills I was fine because I wasn't breathing so hard and I could actually breathe in and out of my nose and I was doing all right but um, the uphill climbing was so difficult, and I was I was very worried at the last part because my climbing had started to get so slow. I was worried that I wouldn't make the cutoff. I, w- I was worried that I had traveled that far and that I would actually be enough. So when I came into town and realized that you know I still had an hour and a half left, so I was fine. But when the realization just hit me that oh my gosh, I really was going to hit that finish line, like I was really going to finish it. It was so overwhelming to me. I just, I like couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying. And the, the sounds and the noises and the, the echoing and, and the cheering and just the, the movement 
and the colors and the light and everything, it was like nothing I had experienced to that, you, up to that you point. You get to finish at like the coolest. I mean, I'm sure obviously when like the number, you know, one through five came through is awesome, but you came through at like the most ideal time. The streets were so lined with oh, people pack, and people pack. were going nuts. Like, for each crazy. and every runner, and I'll share that video. Maybe that's what I'll okay. I'll share to get this episode out. So I want to finish on one of the like more important reasons I I reached out to you actually was yeah, the charity you started. We rock. I think it's yeah like probably the coolest part of your story. And we didn't even like graze the surface with everything you've done but unfortunately <laughs> we can't talk for a 10-hour podcast no um, well the, the kids of we rock are special um after running my my first marathon my son jumped in with me on my second marathon as i finished la marathon he ran the last mile with me and he was in fifth grade at the time and then he wanted to run the la marathon the next year so i started coaching um him and a, a group of kids that year and once I started coaching, he was one and done. He finished his marathon. He was like, forget it. I'm over this. But once I shared that experience with the kids and I realized that you can only have your first marathon once, right? I mean, that, that is only one and done. And then the, the magic of the first is over. Sure, you'll have many other magic finish lines and magical experiences, but you can only have one once. But I was able to recreate that sense through the eyes of the kids. And once I started coaching the kids, I just never wanted to stop. And so I co-founded a program here in Orange County, the county that I live in in California, that trains these kids for six and a half months to prep them to run their first marathon. And it's incredible just to watch the journey that they go through of realizing how strong they are and realizing that they can accomplish so much more than what they've, what they've told themselves or what society's told them. And once they get that spark and they realize how powerful they are, they take it to so many other areas of their life and it's just so empowering to see and to be a part of. It's like, I don't, I'll do it for the rest of my life. Yeah. How competitive are the kids? Depends on the kid. I mean, you know, I have some kids that are super competitive I and mean, when they go out, they, they want to podium at these races. They are gunning for top three. They want to be called up and get the special award. And then I have kids that are, you know, for them, the competitive side is to be able to, to finish and to, you know, shave a few minutes off of their time. But, I mean, I have kids as fast as, like, a 3.30 marathon. Jeez. Yeah, and then, and then I have, have kids that are... The middle-of-the-pack crushers, in, even. Yeah, middle-of-the-pack <laughs> crushers, and then I got the seven-hour heroes, you know, the That's ones that awesome. are going to come in very last. And, and how, the beauty of the program is it's non-competitive. So the fast runners will wait for the slower runners to come in, and, and they want to encourage them and help them along. And then that's, that's what I love. What's that scene like when, you know, the last two or three oh, it's kids like, come in. So I'm the sweeper of the marathon every year, the official race sweeper, like actually with a walkie-talkie, with the balloons on. I'm on staff with the marathon. And so the kids know that they cannot fall behind me. Um, but inevitably, I usually catch up to a few kids at the very end of the race, and I'm you know with them, kind of pushing them, nudging them forward. But what will happen is kids will have finished the race. They will run as far back as like two miles back on the race course to find these last runners and they will, you know, in flip-flops with their race medal around their neck and cheering them on and come on, you got this and telling jokes and laughing and you're doing so great, you know, 
And and then we get to that finish line, and I just stay back. I wait as they, you know, run forward. And it's like, it's it's this finish of this journey that I've had with these kids for, you know, for seven months. And, and you kind of feel like, I feel like this mama bear that's been out there, and you feel just, it's right. It's amazing. It's this glow. It's this, and you've watched it all. And I had a, a coach tell me once, she goes, it's amazing that you're able to do this. And, and to do this for these kids. And I said, you know, but I'm not the one that, that does it for them. I just hold up the mirror and show them a reflection they've never seen before. And that's, and that's the part. Like, they've had it all along. They just didn't know it until I showed them that they did. And so that is, like, so cool. And everybody, everybody listening to this podcast, I mean, they've all, they've all got it, you know. Everybody's got it. If there's something that you want, if there's some race that you want, if there's some distance that you want, if there's some goal that you want, you have to look in the mirror and realize that it's there for you. It's there for you. Just own it. Own up to it and then go get it. I couldn't agree more. You're capable of more than you'll ever realize. You just, yep. yeah, go get it. You just got to decide that it's what you want. And, and truly, you know, when you say, oh, you've run all these crazy races and done all this stuff, like... At one point, I had a, a, a few people tell me that, you know, they didn't think I could. And that only fueled my fire even oh, much more. Nothing but, like but really, training against right? the odds, right? That's it. But really, <laughs> it's just one of those things where I just look at it and I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know if I can or not, but I think I can. So I'm just going to go for it. I'm almost like too stupid to think I can't. And so I just, I think I can. And so I, I do. Andrea, <laughs> you're, you're an amazing person. Like, I, I truly, I'm not only amazed at your ultra running and, you know, just checking off bad waters and, you know, making Fall State look fairly easy <laughs> from afar, but yeah, your charitable work, I mean, again, we could have a whole podcast on it and I just appreciate your time and, and we'll stay in touch Thank and maybe you. we'll, we'll do a Cape Fear or a Salton Sea or something oh, together man. at some point. Right. Um, I hope. And, yeah, hopefully we're not on a faulty airplane together again. Oh, um, Please never again. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks for taking the time on sharing your story, and we'll stay in touch. And, again, right. just your charitable work's amazing. So thank you for thank that. Thank you. All right. Well, I'll talk to you again soon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And that's Episode 65. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big congrats again to the Training for Ultra Challenge winners. You guys did awesome. Thank you to everyone that participated in that. Just an awesome event. And uh, I was blown away by how many people participated in it. So big thank you again to Andrea for taking so much time. Just a phenomenal story. I find her very inspirational. And uh, it was just ironic that we happened to meet on our way to uh, UTMB CCC. So very cool to, to hear her story. Thank you again to the sponsors, Exoskin. If you haven't tried them out, T the number four U twenty for twenty for twenty percent off. Destination Trail and Candace Burt, big supporters. Thank you guys. I, I truly appreciate you. Big thank you to Sufferfest Beer, Hammer Nutrition, and you Patreon supporters. You guys help make it all work. So don't forget to pick a race that motivates you, inspires you, and gets you excited to jump out of bed and, and go get that training run in. And uh have fun out there. Enjoy your training. If you're having fun, you'll you'll hopefully get out for uh, a few extra runs, a few extra miles. Have a good week.